1: This
2: is a more than just podcast production.
1: Welcome to Spotcast, season four, episode 41. My name is Jonathan Kuhlein, and I'm in Mississauga, Ontario, Canada. And joining me, as always, from Seattle, Washington, is Jaime Lopez Jr. How's it going? Going well. Uh, our uh, our regular host Tim is away this week, so uh, Jaime are gonna gonna make a go of it uh, and see what we can do. Uh, worth noting that in the absence of Tim, we had a perfect episode last week, no fact check, so I think we did. We're off to a good start. And uh, so, why don't we jump into the headlines?
2: Yeah, there's uh, lots of you know, movie related stuff this week, it looks like. And we're going to start mm-hmm. right off with um, a Hot Wheels live action movie based on the toy property coming out of uh, Warner Brothers and J.J. Uh, Abrams in collaboration. So not a lot of details here. And I just assume it's going to have a lot to do with, you know, they can't do family. So maybe friends, I guess, as uh, it's all about friends. Kind of <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I was thinking about this when you posted this link, that the Hot Wheels movie, well, one, it seems like it's, where has this been all my life? Like, frankly, this seems like a no-brainer. But also, considering the Fast and Furious movies have sort of evolved into something that is, like, totally uncar related now, I-, I guess there was a gap in the marketplace.
2: Yeah, now that they've, you know, gone into space and done military yeah. stuff and all sorts of wild, you know, superhero-ish kind of things, it's like, hey, what if we took it back to street racing might be an, an option here.
1: <laughs> All right. Does, does there have to be loop to loops? Does there have to be like crazy, uh, you know, stunt tracks to make this worthwhile? Oh man. I, I feel
2: like you have given ideas and I can almost see the trailer in my head. That's like the, the tail end <laughs> of the trailer, right? That like they're going to go through the loop to loop.
1: Oh man. If there's not a, a car going through a ring of fire or a loop to loop, I really feel like it's a missed opportunity. <laughs> Uh, and of course, it's JJ, so we know there's going to be a lot of lens flare, one way or the other.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Maybe may while they come out of the loop de loop, there's a
1: lens flare, you know, because they're going to be up in the sky <laughs> near the sun. Yeah, nice, nice. Uh, I, 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 I um, I'll be curious to see how they come at this one. I don't know that I'm going to rush out and see a, a Hot Wheels movie, but I, I could be convinced by a trailer.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it will be kind of interesting to see how much it leans into. It's not like as if they're, as far as I'm aware, I don't think there's any lore behind the Hot Wheels franchise, right? So it feels like it's fairly adaptable to, you know, little kids will enjoy, like, oh, they can go buy the, the, the toys at uh, at Walmart and enjoy them without necessarily knowing that there's a movie. And then if you're like us, who clearly, you know, know and love the brand from growing up, it's like, oh, it's a Hot Wheels movie. And it's kind of a green open field other than cars involved.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think the most important thing is not to cast Vin Diesel.
2: (laughs) Yeah, brand confusion definitely comes into play there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, So as you said, I mean, there's a lot of stuff this week. Uh, I guess the CinemaCon conference was out in in California this week, so it's all kinds of movie stuff. Uh, I've got a few things here. So the first one is that um, Sony, who we've talked about and their – what are they calling it? The Sony Pictures Universe of Marvel Characters <laughs> is, uh, has decided on their next project. And I, it could not have been more out of left field, in my opinion. So they have announced they're going to do a movie based on uh, El Muerto, who is a Latino hero that has appeared in the last few years in Spider-Man. Uh, as you can imagine, he's a luchador. Um, I, I, <sighs> um, okay. So bad bunny has been, been cast. Uh, this is where I'll start to show my age. I, I did not before this article, I heard the name, but I did not. I couldn't have picked bad bunny out of a lineup until mm-hmm. I saw this piece, mm-hmm. uh, from EW. Uh, but yeah, apparently he's going to play this. Uh, it's going to be uh good because obviously you know we're talking about a you know latinx lead character led marvel movie that's a plus but this is well first of all stretch is a marvel movie but it's a strange pull like this is a a a super powered wrestler uh whose mask gives him his powers I I'm familiar with the character. I've read the books that he's appeared in. I would not in a thousand years have picked him as the next logical thing to turn into a Marvel movie. Uh, were you familiar with any of this going in and, and what are your feelings about this, uh, this announced project?
2: No, I was completely unfamiliar with the character. And when I looked at the character design in, um, yeah, it looks like it's the same one I saw before. Cause I, I tried looking up the- their character on marvel.com it's not really the most filled out uh, biography i i kind of at first blush that it was bane <laughs> holding spider-man in a in a headlock so the the luchador masks can get you know much more variety than what we've gotten here so i'm a little surprised they went uh with this kind of character considering how new the character seems to be and um i don't know what what Sony owns in terms of the rights, but I feel like Spider Man has like a whole bunch of rogues gallery that they might like. I knew there's what the the Craven movie coming out, right? But do they, yeah, they, do they not have the rights to do like Scorpion or you know, a bunch of other? Guys?
1: I, I believe the way that it's written is they have the rights because this would be a character that has been invented in the 21st century, and so I guess what it basically is that characters that are sort of connected to the Spider-Verse, they get first crack at them. Because I wouldn't have thought that this character would have fallen into the into the original agreement, but I guess there must be something about how they get the rights to to all these characters that appear in Spider-Man comics, because that's where he debuted. It, it It's just... it's it, <laughs> We've talked about this in the past. I do not understand what Sony is trying to do with its with its expanded Marvel, not Marvel, MCU universe. I mean, again, I see it from a perspective. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. there's a there's a market for movies led by Latinx characters. I'm supportive of that. But this is kind of out of left field. And doesn't the concept of, like, a magical luchador mask, and, and you know, that's passed down through generations that allows someone to fight evil, doesn't it just seem like... I don't know, puerile. Like to me, I I never really thought of the character as like, oh my god, what a great character. Like it just seems so derivative.
2: Yeah, I I'm definitely hoping they can come up with a you know solid character design that doesn't make people think of Bane out of the the gate. Yeah, Yeah, and um, I can I can see some of the sense in some ways of like, okay, so you know, going back to what is it, 2018 when Black Panther came out. I think that feels like it set the stage for Shang Chi to come out. They yeah. haven't really had a strong uh, Hispanic or Latino market kind of character, and they're perhaps less afraid of doing that sort of thing um, here. But I, I, I feel like there are probably other characters they might have been able to go with um, for this. But um, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to tell if it's going to be more, you know, Morbius kind of. Out of left field and 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 nothing really comes of it, or if it's going to be more like venom out of left field of yeah you know reasonably successful
1: well, that's it. I mean say what you will about about you know Morbius, I think even less so venom is has been a mainstream marvel character for twenty five almost thirty years that has headlined his own titles that has been the star of the show. Morbius is a step down from that. He's had his own book a couple times, but still kind of sea level. Uh, this, this is a little like level below that as far as like brand recognition. Now that's not to say that it can't work, but it's um, yeah, it's, it just, it just seems like a strange pull.
2: Yeah. He's it, the Marvel.com entry is failing me. Is there any tie to, I mean, the, the the biography has the, like, you know, he wrestled Spider-Man for a charity event set up by J. Jonah Jameson. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, I don't know that this is going to be a Spider-Man tie-in movie other than, you know, like a, a, a post-credits kind of thing. Um, so is there some tie-in to other characters like Venom or Morbius or other things I'm forgetting that Sony has announced? Like, as they're trying to cobble together their own cinematic
1: sub-universe? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. To me, it, what it says is like we're kind of just throwing stuff against the wall. Uh, and again, I'm supportive of the fact that if they're they're looking at doing this and and just having like a latinx lead character led movie, like that's a plus. Absolutely, I support that. But it just seems like if you've got the well of sixty years of Spider-Man created characters to pull from, that would not have been the first thing I would have bet money on.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of wonder what's going on with the. Um... With the rights and the, the relationship with Marvel and stuff. So maybe maybe they're, they're playing the cards they've been dealt.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, the other card they've been dealt is, uh, is that they keep going back to, is Venom. And so as part of this uh, extravaganza of announcements, they also announced they are going to do a Venom 3 from, uh, from Sony. And they also announced they're going to do a Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel. Now, uh, Jaime, have you seen Ghostbusters Afterlife yet? I have, I have. Yeah, so that one, obviously the way that it ends kind of telegraphs that there's a logical place for them to go next. And I, I think given the sort of fan love mixed with the, the sort of box office success that it had, it made, you know, $200 million, which, yeah, I mean, in a, in a Marvel Cinematic Universe scale is not very good, but, you know, for what it is, I think it did pretty well. So it makes sense that they would do that. Venom, uh, made the original Venom made 856 million globally, which is, I can't even believe when I look at that number and then even Venom, let there be carnage made 502 million globally. And when you consider the pandemic, that's pretty astonishing. Yeah. I have not seen it yet. It, it didn't look great, but I, I'm going to give it a watch. Uh, it was definitely, uh, I'll wait till it comes to a streaming service movie for me, but
2: yeah. Yeah, I think it will be interesting to see what they do with part 3 because I think in the non-spoiler way I described part 2, I said, "Wow, if only they hadn't gone the symbiote route in Venom 1, they would have been able to go to that route in part 2." So it feels a little bit more of the same. So like, mm. you know, going back to back okay, but going to a third one, they're definitely going to have to do something different uh, and, and pull from other areas of uh, Venom's history to to give something you know, it it could spark some new life with it, right? Especially as the multiverse of madness over in the MCU has opened up possibilities to start pulling things in or even just kind of hint at things that are, that are broader.
1: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they if there is plans to make any of this more cohesive or what they're gonna do with sort of the, the larger Spider-Man universe, especially in the wake of No Way Home. They kind of rekindled the the Toby Maguire and the and the Andrew Garfield of it all. There's a there's a possibility to go different places and do things, you know, on a pretty big scale if if you get the right people at Sony making the right calls.
2: You know, here's an idea. Um I'm pretty sure I've seen Comics where um the green goblin goes good for a while there uh, kind of like the way that venom had his his anti hero heroism phase mm-hmm. uh, I wonder if they could uh, could do that I don't know if people will be disappointed to see more of the green goblin from the the Raimi verse
1: yeah, although again do you, yeah do you do the uh the sort of lobotomized dechemicalized version that they, we saw in no way Home I, yeah it'll be interesting' it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how they go. Mm-hmm. Go forward with something like that. I, I think anything you can do to get Willem Defoe back being crazy on screen, <laughs> I'm supportive of. Uh, a couple other pieces for movie here. So um, the Super Mario movie, which we talked about on a previous episode, this is uh, led by Chris Pratt, has been bumped. Uh, you'll you'll notice a theme through this bit of headlines. There's a few things that have been bumped, but uh, Super Mario has been bumped. It was supposed to come out this December. Now it's coming out next April. Uh, I don't feel like there's any skin off my nose on this one. I don't think I was. Necessarily running to the theater to see it, but I am curious.
2: Yeah did um, did they have any reasoning for the specific um, placement? Because the original placement is right in line with the uh, people go out Christmas holidays kind of thing, right? Um, April doesn't strike me as 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 solid as okay. Well, if we're gonna bump it, let's take it all the way to summer, and and maybe the summer's overloaded with other things, but. Did they talk specifically like why April was a good one?
1: It didn't talk about why they moved it to April, but it did say that they filled its spot in the December space with the new Puss in Boots animated movie from from mm-hmm. uh, the, the the long languishing sequel to the Antonio Banderas uh, uh, Shrek verse. I. I don't know, maybe they just saw, they sort of looked at where they were and weren't happy with it, and they needed to go back and do some more work, but it does nothing in this article says anything about why. It just says that they have, and that they filled that spot with another one of their movies. So I don't think they're surrendering that Christmas payday slot, I think they slid in another Christmas uh, potential family family movie, but yeah. It's a good question, though. I wonder if, uh, well, the other the other thing that I guess is worth raising here, I don't know if you've been following the Chris Pratt stuff on social, but Uh, Mr. Pratt has come under pretty heavy fire this last few weeks for his um, political views. No, I've been out of the loop on this. Yeah, so it's been kind of percolating in the background. There has been a petition going around to recast him in Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn came to his defense this week and said, like, you know, basically over my dead body, we, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, I would never recast him and everything else. So, um, it's because he is, uh, connected to an evangelical Christian church, which has been accused of being anti-gay. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so... There are a number of people who are looking for that sort of cancellation, cancel culture kind of blowback saying, well, if he's going to be connected to this to this um, organization, then uh, he shouldn't be obviously afforded the opportunities He's being afforded Uh, some of the feedback. I'm just looking at a a news article about this right now from uh, online. And, you know, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of, you know. Uh, social media criticism saying, well, you know, if he's going to be affiliated with this homophobic church, does he deserve to have these things? And, you know, obviously it's, it's murky waters, you know, he himself has, as far as I know, not come out and made any direct statements that are derogatory to the LGBTQ2S plus community. But uh, this is one of those guilt by association kind of deals that I think the woke public is kind of, you know, coming after in a lot of places. So it's, yeah, it's 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 a tricky one for sure. But I wonder if you know, uh, just to bring it back to the Super Mario of it all, I wonder if they're just pushing it out to hope that the heat cools down a little bit on that kind of stuff, and that it you know people sort of let that go and forget a little bit more about that before they they push that out on the screens. Yeah, that probably ends up helping them out a bit. The
2: the Guardians of the Galaxy and the Jurassic World stuff coming out in the summer would probably be more problematic for. Our- like when it comes down to brass tacks, at least the Super Mario Brothers being an animated film has the advantage. of you know, just completely be like, well, "Guess what? Uh, Mike Myers is the voice now, <laughs> right?"
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's it's true. just like to the drawing
2: board, Shrek, right? Of like, okay, this isn't working out. Let's do another voice, and it's tough, but it's it's totally doable. You don't have to re-render anything. You're basically just full-time ADR for all of his stuff, right? So true,
1: true, true, true. Uh, it,
2: they're gonna have more problems putting in like Tignataro for him in <laughs> Guardians of <laughs>
1: Galaxy or, or Jurassic
2: World, right?
1: There you go. There you go. Yeah, they're just gonna like uh, sub in somebody else's face uh, for for the Jurassic World movies. That that could get expensive. All right, what you got for us in the next one?
2: You know, this is well timed because uh, this past weekend on uh, the lovely HBO Max. I was the one at home washing his tights, watching the Batman and, uh, nice. It is, (laughs) it is, um, it's, it's quite the epic at five minutes shy of three hours. And, you know, Uh, people, people, people liked it. I liked it. No surprise. It's getting a sequel, which is, uh, you know, you all hinted at it uh, from the, uh, wasn't a post credit scene. It was like near the end of the movie scene, I think um yeah. and and it just kind of makes sense cuz like there's uh, a lot of room to go from Batman year 2 to additional stuff so i i'm looking forward to seeing more of this
1: yeah the uh the speculation has already begun on what it will cover because there was a, a little bit of speculation that they were going to go into the court of owls storyline that uh was that came out from Scott Snyder oh, within the last 10 years and so those books have started heating up on the comic book market, and when those books start heating up, they're usually where there's smoke, there's fire. So when you start seeing the comic values going up, uh, it's usually mm-hmm. a sign that that the the speculators are coming out, and therefore that that's probably where things are going. I did I did want to say a thank you to Sony. I forgot to say it in that piece about Alberto, uh, but. <laughs> I'd like to thank them for goosing the value of my comic collection once again, because as soon as they announced that movie, uh, a bunch of first appearances and all that stuff, all they're all, they went from like a, you know, a $4 book to a $200 book overnight. I was like, Oh, thanks. Cool. Just that much more assets in the vault. There you go. There you go. I think it'll be interesting to see where they go from, from the Batman, they're in the interim. They're going to do that. They're talking about the HBO Max Penguin series. They're sort of expanding that world a little bit. It'll be interesting to see how they loop the Batman back into it. So, what did you think? Uh, what were your impressions about it? a little digression here, but uh, I'm curious what you what you what you liked and didn't like about it.
2: What I liked is uh, I liked Pattinson as uh, as Batman. I think he was okay as as Bruce Wayne. I think you know. Bruce Wayne doesn't do a whole lot in this movie. It's it's very heavily Batman as the detective. I think that mm-hmm. was handled well. I think the tone felt pretty good and solid. I enjoyed the fact that it it splits sort of a careful line of that it's on the surface uh pretty gritty in terms of feeling closer to a um uh a Christopher Nolan Christian Bale Batman Begins kind of feel like superficially. But mm. but it has more aspects to it that feel like callbacks to the Adam West version of Batman of like Batman is almost an arm of the government, right? Like the, the police let him in. But at the same time, there are some people who are like, yo, are we really letting the vigilante touch stuff? <laughs> And, and yeah, so it's they, funny that one
1: scene where they start calling that out, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's why not, is he here? Why is this okay?
2: Yeah, so it's not quite as uh, uh, you know one side or the other. It's got um, it's got some some nice stuff of like it, without getting too spoilery. Like Batman shows up at a club and he's like, "Yo, let me in," because uh, you know who I am. I'm the Batman, <laughs> right? He just yeah. sort of walks in. He doesn't break in. He just shows up yep. at the front door and. That kind of felt more in line with the Adam West version than it does the uh the the Christian Bale version. I'm like, yeah, I kind of dig the the line that they're straddling here with this,
1: yeah, yeah, but it wasn't in any way it can't be in the adam way west way. it was no. just he seemed like he was part of the fiber of the city that everyone knew and and either either respected or grudgingly respected, even the crime world was like this guy needs to be taken seriously. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And in terms of things I didn't like this, um, this suffers in my opinion, from the uh, Lord of the Rings return of the King problem of, I was like, all right, this thing's wrapped up. I'm like, no, wait a minute. How much time is it? an hour and a half left? What? <laughs> <laughs> like there was a, a story beat. I was like, all right, I feel like this is where it's wrapping up and then it's not. And then I'm like, okay, it, you know, take a bathroom break come back and then I'm like watching the movie enjoying it. Okay. Here is where it's going to end. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's still like 40 minutes left. Where, where's the story going? And it's kind of like return of the King where there's several different, you feel like the movie's going to end. And if you don't know it with Lord of the Rings case, if you don't know the books, it's like, yo, sit down. It, it's not going to fade to black here. There's still more that's going to happen. And, and this you... movie, I didn't know where it was going to end exactly because there is no, uh, or at least yeah. I'm not familiar with the precise story they were following. So. Um, It does suffer from that in terms of, like, I don't know how people manage to deal with this in the modern theater that doesn't have intermissions at home on HBO Max. I just pause. I go to the bathroom. I get something to drink. Get some popcorn. (laughs) Totally fine. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's funny because we we did see it in the theater, uh, Tim and I, and I found myself thinking that it, it was clearly a successful movie in that i did not find myself like my mind wasn't wandering for three hours i wasn't like oh my god are we there like it really was kind of keeping me engaged and for a movie that kind of does have peaks and valleys like it's not just go 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 action 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 like so many sort of of these comic book adaptations can be it was Mm -hmm. a kind of a slow burn and there was you know digressions and sub subplots and but it was pretty engaging I I still think you probably could have easily cut forty five minutes out of that movie and it would have been just as good. But I, I don't I don't begrudge it the digressions. Yeah, yeah, I, I I agree with that.
2: And it's but it's kind of the same thing with like Return of the King that has the okay, like it's not it's not the story length, It's just the way the beats were presented that it it mimics the like oh this is the ending of the movie right and and this one also has that as well of like. The way they present the story beats mimic the ending of a movie. And so, uh, you know, that's kind of more nitpicking than anything else. It doesn't hurt your enjoyment of the movie. It, it does definitely need yeah. enjoy a movie all the way through. So, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of more movies, more movies, more movies, we got a name for Avatar 2, finally, after all these years. It's been. This one kind of caught me, and I knew it was a while, but it's been 12 years since the first Avatar movie. 12 years! That's crazy! But they are finally putting a name to Avatar 2. It's going to be called Avatar The Way of Water. And they also revealed that the first trailer will be seen in theaters with the release of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness on Friday, May 6th. So, not only are we getting a name, but we're finally going to have a first look at the new Avatar movie. All these years later, any where does Avatar rate for you? I don't know if we ever talked about Avatar. Are are you a fan? Did you enjoy it? Are you excited for more? There's two
2: minds I have of this movie in that when I saw the movie in theaters in three D as as the director intended, it was brilliant. Twelve years, yeah, 2010 sounds about right. Um, it was just brilliant as an experience and is, you know, plot wise, like a B plus um um Oh my gosh. I see uh dances with wolves kind of plot, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but the, it is with smurfs. Dances with smurfs. <laughs> Dance yeah. Um, and when I've seen it, you know, yeah, on TV, on TBS or TNT or something, I'm kind of less engaged into it. And I was thinking to myself, is it cause it's, the story i'm like no stories are still pretty solid b you know maybe not a b plus maybe it's a b minus kind of story but still should be watchable and i think it just suffers so much from being on my tv versus being a huge theater booming sound system and 3d glasses and so i i kind of wonder where this one's gonna go um there's a there's like an avatar themed area of some theme park Who, who owns this
1: I, yeah it's now it's disney right disney, disney okay, now okay. owns it as part of the acquisition from from uh, fox i believe
2: oh so they probably
1: have it at the animal kingdom then i would
2: guess over at the disney world
1: uh, yeah i know that there's one i think i want to say it was like the, the chinese version of, of disney that had it
2: mm-hmm. i mean there's definitely a bunch of different ways they could go with this
1: i will say that Oh no! You know what? You're right. It's the Animal Kingdom theme park. See, you're way smarter than me.
2: I mean, it makes sense because it's all about like nature, and there's like a big tree in in this movie. There's a big tree in the in the Animal or it was many years ago when I went to Animal Kingdom. So I I, I wasn't sure which Disney park would have it, um, but Animal Kingdom kind of made sense as as one. Just going from the you know what I'm familiar with in the American parks. Um, I will say the name here, of <laughs> like. Avatar: The Way of Water feels like I want to be snarky and say, "So is is the sequel gonna be the Way of Earth, and then that sequel is the Way of Fire?" <laughs> and if folks don't get it, it's like, well, remember how the last Airbender movie came out, the live action one, and it couldn't have Avatar: The Last Airbender because this movie existed. It just feels like this name is like a meme in some way. <laughs> I don't know yeah, how, they say, really? how, they, how they decided on on this name, and maybe. Maybe the movie will make sense uh, when we get into it. But just as like a weird, weird, weird coincidence so far.
1: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the 3D aspect of it. I, I agree. We went and saw it in the theater. It was hands down the best 3D movie I've ever seen. As you'd expect, James Cameron is a visionary. He does incredible things. He, he really loves to push the envelope on the technical side. And I've never felt so immersed in a 3D movie. Mm-hmm. It loses something at home. Although it, it, the the bummer for me was that I did have a, a 3D TV at home for a while uh, in the previous decade, and I did buy Avatar in 3D. And with the, I had a Samsung TV with sort of the act, the active lenses, not the uh, the passive ones. And so even in 3D at home, it was not the same experience, but it was still pretty good. But that TV has since died, and and 3D technology has pretty much gone the way of the dodo. So there's no way to recreate that experience. And I, and I feel like that's sort of one of those ones where I guess that's the enticement. They want you to go to the theater and experience it in 3d. I would expect 3d will make a, a roaring comeback this year with, with this kind of stuff. Mm. But yeah, it, it it It's one of those ones where it kind of diminishes the experience in retrospect because you can never sort of recapture that feeling again, because you really, when you're watching it on a, flat screen, you really are losing some of the wonder that you experienced.
2: Yeah. I'm thinking now of that era and uh, in that part, for future historians here who are wondering what happened, there was a bunch of 3D stuff that went on in that era, but many, maybe even most films of that era just sort of like patched it on after the fact, right? Jumping on the fad of like, this 2D movie is now in 3D. This movie was designed to be in 3D, um, and, and and not in the um, you know annoying. Oh, let's just turn directly to the camera and throw stuff at you so you can ooh and ah. It was meant to feel <laughs> immersive for the 3D, like you were like like on the hollow deck or something. Watching a holo novel is the best analogy. So uh, maybe 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 again, that's why it sort of suffers so much in 2D because it's it wasn't meant to be watched in 2D. It's like. Watching The Wizard of Oz on a black and white television, you like never get the jump to the color, Technicolor, yeah. right? And like, what's yeah, it to do true. with Oz? Oz is still wonderful, but like it's missing a little something when it doesn't have the color.
1: Well, this uh, was interesting news. I think we're all kind of looking forward to seeing what the trailer brings and and wondering if it can sort of recapture that magic again. Up until Avengers Endgame, this was the number one movie uh, at all of all time at the box office, which is... Crazy to say, but I guess it just has that global appeal. Uh, the first knock-on effect came this week after the good folks at Warner Brothers surrendered and immediately moved the Shazam movie mm-hmm. out of the... Uh, sorry, I should, I should just clarify by saying uh, the Avatar movie has a release date. It's coming out on December 16th. The Shazam movie, Fury of the Gods, which uh, of course is the sequel to the Shazam movie that came out a few years back. Uh, has surrendered and said, "Like no, nope no, thanks. We're moving," and uh, they are now going to move their release date because they don't want to get caught in the the line of fire there. So, um, so it was supposed to open, I guess, on December twenty first. No, wait, it's weird. I have two different articles from two different places. One says it's the sixteenth, and one says it's the twenty first. They've moved a week out, so they've moved a week backwards. So it says Avatar is coming out on the 21st, which is that lead into the Christmas break. And Shazam is going to come out a week earlier now on the 16th. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're basically clearing the decks and saying, like, we don't want to open head to head with this thing. So uh, it's yours, Disney. You win. Which is it's funny because sometimes there are those staring contests between studios. You know, oh, no, our movie's got this slot. Oh, no, our movie's got got this slot. And they'll come right down to the wire of, well, you know, it's like we're going to get two big movies at the same time. In this one, Warner blinked first and fast and said, well, we'll take the extra week. Thanks.
0: I
2: feel like that's a sensible business move because, you know, I enjoyed the first Shazam movie. I think the new movie is probably going to be a good, solid movie. It is not the hype machine that an Avatar 2 can be, right? And that's not to say that, like, one will necessarily definitely defeat one. But, like, there's going to be a lot of media attention around Avatar 2, there's not going to be quite as much media attention around Shazam Fear the Gods, and that's not a knock on uh, its quality or anything. It's just that, you know, Cameron <laughs> brings you tons of attention, especially if he shows up at the premiere kind of thing. So,
1: Oh, yeah, uh, for, sure. for
2: sure. Just realize the cards you're dealt and uh, moving up a week early is pretty good idea because they get that, that week to themselves. And then um, in the second week, it's like, hey, w- were you unable to get into... Avatar, great! Why don't you go watch Desam while you're
1: yeah. on vacation? Your
0: right?
1: Yeah, the only one that makes it, it makes me kind of think is kind of weird is so one of the fights that I've noticed, and it's it's happened in the past for sure, but it's the timing in the IMAX theaters, right? So if your your local theater has that sort of one amazing IMAX theater where you know you want to watch the biggest movies, that has like a seven-day window, maybe an eight-day window for Shazam to be that movie. You basically have that mm. long to see at IMAX because then it's going to get bumped for weeks. I can't imagine they're going to do like, you know, different times to show that movie up against Avatar where you can basically sell out the theater over and over and over again. So you are giving up the sort of premium viewing experience unless you get people to go out that first day. I'm, I know I'm not I'm not playing on rushing to the theater to see Shazam 2. Right, right. Uh, so next up we've got news of a new Star Wars animated series. This one kind of came out of left field and it was interesting. So the story I've got here is from Gizmodo. They say that um, a new series described as an animated anthology has been inadvertently revealed by the panel schedule for next month's Star Wars celebration in Anaheim. It says, "...debuting on Saturday, May 28th, Tales of the Jedi will be an anthology of shorts." And it's going to be introduced uh, by a panel including Dave Filoni, who of course is the genius behind uh, Mandalorian, Ahsoka, Rebels, Clone Wars—you name it. The new, basically everything post-Lucas Star Wars. And it seems like it's going to be in line with something similar to what we that we saw with the Star Wars Vision series that took all these great Japanese uh, studios and developed their own stories. This one is, I guess, around the theme of you know tales of the Jedi over however much time. It doesn't have a lot of details beyond that, because obviously it was something that probably leaked before they were ready to leak it. But it sounds like an anthology series based around just the broad theme of tell us a Jedi story. And I guess we can hope that it's similar divisions and that we might see some different animation styles, different takes. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, some different cultures, interpretations mixed in there. So this sounds cool. I'm 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 excited about this Tales of the Jedi. Again, obviously we've seen so much Jedi based on you know this one sort of time period, but being able to open that up to like all across time could be really cool.
2: Yeah, I I like the anthology kind of way with some of this stuff where uh particularly with animation, you're so free to do these completely different sort of genres in the same series where I assume one could be a film noir, or one could be very uh bubblegum pop kind of one, another one can be, you know, a, a much more um uh, you know, heroic, dramatic one, and there's just a lot of options, right? It just the the Star Wars, you know, mythos that's been built up is just so rich with you know, take these these various bits of iconography and reassemble them into something that will just feel sort of classic, but the same way that you know you can have dramatic, serious, you know, Broadway plays kind of thing around uh, Greek mythology, and then you can also have. Disney Hercules, and it's just as enjoyable, very different sort of takes on what's largely the same material. Right? So I, I'm, I'm excited by this because it, it was really cool with the anime you know, episodes where they were all very different kind of of, of, uh, of shows, and, and having the anthology collection is a, is a nice way to, to bundle it all together.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do too. I know one of the things that we kind of questioned when we were watching Visions was sort of does this fit into canon? Because they had said everything fits into canon going forward, but they were pretty quick to shut that down. I think in, in like we recorded an episode, and then within the next day or two, they were like, "No, this is not canon." I wonder if Tales of the Jedi will be canon, or if it'll be something just uh, new.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. A little bit more. In the, I'm, I'm going to tie this together with my, uh, the Batman experience. So one thing I enjoyed in the, in the new, uh, the new world order is, you know, on the 46th day of theatrical release streaming is now legally open for contracting, et cetera. So that's why I was able to watch the Batman Well, it's, I believe still in theaters. I haven't double checked. That's enjoyable. Um, going beyond that, there's all sorts of weird, um, rights windows that are opening up. So this next story is about Roku, makers of the streaming device. They're, they keep trying to add stuff to their, um, their free channels that they've got. Apparently now they're going to be able to stream a whole bunch of Lionsgate films for free, including uh, John Wick 4 and Borderlands. Um, but it's not like immediate. It's, it's in a stage, right? So apparently the initial streaming windows are going to be on the Stars platform for Lionsgate. And then after that window then you'll get the Roku window. So It's in some respects kind of reproducing with the old analog way of like, this is in theaters, then it goes to premium theaters, then the dollar theaters. And then, you know, it ends up being available on DVD and then it becomes available on uh, cable TV. And then eventually it's available on you know, regular broadcast TV. We're, we're almost in many ways reproducing the same kind of thing, aren't we? It's like in theaters, then it's streaming and then it's streaming on some other place and etc etc etc
1: yeah i'll be curious to know so it says it's going to stream for free on these i wonder where it's going to do that as far as the chronology lay out like cuz of course in the middle of all that there's going to be the you know the digital pay digital there's going to be the you know the iTunes store and the and the Google uh, Google Play store and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff too i wonder where it's going to fit within those windows Free is one thing, but free and timely, I think, is, is what people are really wanting, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So for um, Spider-Man No Way Home, I paid for that movie because it wasn't on any streaming service. Like, included was part of the service. I hypothetically paid for The Batman, but technically it's free as part of my HBO Max one-month subscription as I watch you know, other things that are on there. And it's uh, it's just an interesting... semi-complicated world in terms of you know what are you going to get for free like if if yeah if money is an object you're going to have to pay closer attention if you're like i've already linked my credit card i don't care just gimme 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 i think you're probably sitting in a pretty good spot
1: yeah we shall see uh last up a little bit of an update from today so we talked about the fact that uh with the walking dead quote unquote ending the main series is coming to an end soon But they had announced they're going to do a Carol and Daryl Walking Dead spinoff. This one kind of got a curveball thrown at today with the news that Melissa McBride, who plays Carol and has famously through the the entire series, has bowed out of the series. And so now they're kind of having to rejig it and it's going to focus sort of solely on Daryl. The reason that was given is that, you know, uh, the, the... it was going to be filmed set and filmed in Europe, and that she didn't want to necessarily do that and so she's decided to sort of opt out of playing that character now maybe she can show up as a as a guest star or something but yeah it's um it's funny that that was sort of their big push for the next thing and now. Now that's sort of fallen off as well. I, uh, as, as somebody who's sort of fallen out of, of The Walking Dead, I can't say that I feel strongly. I, I got to admit, I know it's blasphemous, and I'm sure that there will be haters out there. Um, but those were two of my least favorite characters, so I don't really, I don't, I don't know that I would have lined up to see that particular show, anyways. But uh, for those people who are fans, and I know that those two characters have a huge, huge following, I'm sure that uh, that this must be a huge disappointment.
2: Yeah, I kind of wonder what's um, you know what's going on there in terms of what they'll they'll end up doing with it.
1: Yeah. yeah. All right, that's the end of our headlines. So that brings us to the main part of our show, where we like to talk about Star Trek and Star Trekky things. And so today we're going to be talking about Star Trek: Picard, season two, episode nine, Hide and Seek. And uh, Jaime is going to give us a little recap, and we'll, we'll uh, then we'll start pulling on some threads.
2: Yeah. I- I'm of two minds of trying to understand how to to deal with today's episode of Picard. So this is season two, episode nine, hide and seek. There's, you know, to, to very sort of quickly recap the things that I saw happening. There is the, the, the fight for the La Sirena ship. There's the fight for Gerardi. There's, um, you know, the, the, the fight for the future. And then there's sort of like the weird side thing of like, the fight to have Picard remember this trauma, which we've got one episode left in this season. I'm kind of wondering how they're going to wrap up parts of that and how that plays into things. Um, but that's kind of what colored a bit of my confusion of, of how to feel about this episode. Um, so so rolling right into it, we we start with you know Rios and his, his pseudo family on uh, La Sirena they immediately have run into problems because the transporter is being activated remotely. And the, what I'm going to call Borg mandos, the, uh, the, Borg-ified like commandos. <laughs> you know, yeah. hijack the ship and, uh, you know, queen Jurati has, has come on board and, uh, and she's taken charge of everything. Right. And not too long after that, you've got Picard and crew showing up and trying to see if they can retake things, but there's just, you know, too many Borg mandos out there to pew, 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 right. They're not gonna be able to do it off of uh pure, uh, strength here, at least not a direct frontal assault.
1: Um, but thankfully, they've got. Did, did it feel like? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Did, did it feel like to you? So we saw the Borgmando's getting ready at the end of the last episode, and there it looked like there was, you know, for the sake of argument, a dozen to fifteen people standing around in combat uniforms, and then the gerudy slash Borg Queen was infecting them so that they would be the Borgmando's. Mm-hmm. But then it feels like it. Somehow, between episode eight and episode nine, it, it turned into uh, a George Lucas special where all of a sudden there was like 300 of these guys uh, teleporting in.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's because the you know, off screen uh, in between episodes continued to Borgify people in like an assembly line of like, all right, next. <laughs> Kind of thing no. or looks
1: like Gary's uh, glowing green now and he's got his eyeballs are turning colors next. Like, sure. Hey,
2: you got friends, right? Yeah. Are they as good as you know, but <laughs> you know how to shoot guns, right? Yeah. Call them up. Tell them to get
0: over here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so coming back to things, uh, the, the one thing that the crew has in their favor uh, throughout this episode is that Gerardi's uh, not gone. She's still Fighting internally uh, to keep the queen from assimilating the ship, and in fact, she used uh, she used the Borg's own tricks to fight the Borg's ability to unlock the uh, the computer. So that's that's useful. And she hid the uh, the encryption key inside of the emergency combat hologram, which is in the form of Elnor. So he comes out. It is you know ready ready to, to fight. And back outside the ship, a uh, you know, a flashbang is thrown out there, which leads to a flashback of young Picard with his parents. And Yeah, his, well done. Well done. Yeah, and, and his mom was having like moon night kind of moments. So these are pretty pretty good episodes to have coincidentally lined up this way. Um mm-hmm. and you know, we end up seeing a lot of that through the episodes. So like we, we we clearly know that she has been having some, you know, emotional and psychological issues that the family was trying to deal with and and some degrees picard's you know views of what was happening are all completely colored by the fact that he was a, a young lad right and he, he as an older man is like yeah you know what i think the way i thought about my dad and the way i thought my mom were, were kind of different and he kind of has that weaved it throughout the rest of the episode and we'll get there we'll get there it comes up at, at sometimes weird times in my opinion but we'll get there um in the uh the laser tag they're having outside. Rios is <laughs> Rios is hurt and you know Talon uses her her Doctor Who uh door thing to to send him and in uh, Teresa and, and I forget the little kid's name Manny or something I forget the kid's name send him uh back to to her apartment. Uh Be Ricardo? Is it Ricardo? Man, it's I can't remember.
1: Ric- I want to say it's Ricardo uh, like well I you you keep going I'll, I'll I'll try and dig that up.
2: Yeah, yeah, and uh <laughs> I guess I was in a mood when I wrote this line. uh, This apartment is just as big on the inside as it is on the outside. I guess I was in a doctor (laughs) who moment of like, they get whisked away there. Um, You know, the, at least the tactics are kind of interesting here on the ground. They say, Hey, you know, cover me. We're going to split up. We're going to flank them. You know, the 300 some Borg mandos they've got, at least we're going to, you know, give them two places to shoot at. So this is good. This is sensible. Um, there's a bit of a parlay between Suing and Picard, uh, uh, you know, a disagreeing to disagree kind of things of like, you know, the fight for the future. Um, and they come back to the almost as if they read the title and say, "Hide and seek, the ultimate survival skill." Uh, remember how <laughs> we learned the Chateau Picard had its role in World War Two, and and they got the tunnels. Let's uh, let's go in into the house to to go go do that right and. You end up with, um, you know, some interesting fight scenes of, you know, man, sorry, the autocorrect is like hurting me here so bad. So Seven and and (laughs) Rafi, you know, creeping through Chateau Picard, trying to avoid the the Borg Mandos with their their green uh, sight laser laser sights on their guns. And uh, as we've seen since as far back as Star Trek First Contact, you, you can't adapt to my fists, and you can't adapt to knives. So <laughs> hand-to-hand combat is by far the most effective way to take out uh, the Borg. Um, uh, Picard is, uh, man, he just, like, doesn't know how to take cover, man. He's like, oh, we should take the tunnels, and then he kind of has, like, a moment, uh, maybe an old man moment, and almost gets shot in the head, and uh, thanks, yeah. like, Talon's quick on the draw, and pew-pew-pews the guy. She's, man, she's got, like, a, a great gun. Everybody else has, like, um, you know, pea shooters by comparison to she's got the 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 Jesse the Body Ventura mini gun equivalent. Of, of stuff. <laughs> nice pull, nice pull, right? I mean, it's like man, she's got like the the <laughs> Halo gun. We're like, where the heck is this? Yep. Um, and I think the reason that that Picard was was sort of having a, a senior moment there is he's uh, having a flashback to like remember that time Mom took him through the Scooby Doo door, and so that's yep. what they do in real time, right? They enter the hidden spot and. We end up with, like, a lot of, um, it would be, like, magical realism, except I think it's just, you know, cinematic uh, the way that this is presented of, of switching back and forth, sort of commingling uh, young Picard alone in the tunnels, his mother doing, like, a weird Blair Witch thing, and then present-day talents like, yo, I think I remember seeing these tunnels. Like, these were in your memory, right? Uh, separately, in the other part of the house, we learned that, that seven... Wasn't allowed to join Starfleet because of severe prejudice. Uh, despite uh, you know, Janeway, Captain Admiral Janeway, getting name-checked, who had threatened to resign if Seven wasn't allowed, and they still weren't going to let that happen. So she was sort of you know left to her own devices
1: to become uh, a
2: ranger. We we got. So to the question
1: on that one is, did she resign? Because I guess not. Yeah, she's seven didn't say that seen...
2: She did resign like the way that Picard resigned. It's not like she threatened to do it, but didn't actually do it. I guess they called yeah. her bluff and, and, and she backed down from it. I guess. I guess. She backed well, down when they said, hey, well, all right. What if we make Holloway? Like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, right. Seven, you're not getting to Starfleet. Why? Because of reasons. <laughs> you don't want to tell your friend. Because <laughs> I they're get gonna to be a hologram forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, hollow Elnor following the Holloway. The hollow uh, Nor, I didn't know what to go there. Uh, the holographic Elnor, uh, we, we see him hiding from the Queen and the Borg Mandos on La Siena. Interplays with Rios trying to hack Talon's thermostat to try to get back, you know, trying to activate the door <laughs> himself, to try to get back into the action. Teresa gets spicy. She's like, What the hell are you doing? You are a liability. Look how injured you are. Until he's like, uh, no big deal. Here's this device. You're a doctor. Use. I guess these are super easy devices. It's like by handed modern medical devices to a doctor in the 1800s. They would absolutely brutalize your flesh, even if they weren't trying to. Right? So yeah,
1: she's impressed. We need to get a leech on that ASAP. Like, okay, great.
2: Yeah. This <laughs> MRI machine? Huh? Yeah, yeah. Where where do the leeches come up from? It's like they don't. Yeah, There's right. no leeches. Get yeah. out with the leeches. <laughs> Um, But she is, you know, apparently skilled enough or or the people who designed it are skilled enough to, you know, put an ER in your pocket. So she's clearly impressed by that. Uh, And she does, you know, help him out. Uh, You know, he's get a little bit of the gun show of like, look at my cool scar sort of thing that she helps (laughs) to heal him up with, (laughs) his flesh wound. Um, And we learn that the, at least Soong here is super good at hide and seek. He takes no time at all to be like, I think there's a Scooby Doo door here. <laughs> They're probably in some some tunnels or something. Uh, we flash back to you know to uh, to Mom Picard, you know, in the tunnel, t- talking like in a very weird nihilistic sort of way that would be pretty problematic for a young lad. Picard realizes in the present day that they've been found. Um, and man, like remember this used to be the Chateau Picard secret tunnels for uh, for the resistance. hit everything when the nazis came and those old guns man they made them simple but they work (laughs) even like you know what they're in 2020 they're like 60 70 years later he just pulls a gun out of their their little cache there and and you know it's not quite a pew 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 he boom 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 somebody's right uh pretty impressive
1: there going back yeah it's uh it's pretty impressive to see uh a you know, at this point, it was 2024. That would have been there since you know the 1940s. Pretty, pretty impressive, uh, cool, dry place to keep that gun from misfiring in that situation. I suppose since the Picards have the the
2: vineyard, they're kind of probably pretty good at, at maintaining proper temperature and humidity and etc. Right? So they they didn't cheap out when they made the tunnels. As, as there you go. I, there you, you know, go. Head can in that one. There you go. Um, Back on La we're sort of in the middle. We realize that Hollow Elnor, you know, isn't trapped in there with you. You're trapped in there with him. He wasn't hiding. He was, you know, strategically placing himself so that he doesn't just get all beat up. He starts beating people up, killing people. Uh, Runs into Rafi and Seven. They learn that he's the key to the lock screen. And uh, they have a little bit of disagreement. Simon's like, hey, I've got an idea. We need to use him to unlock the computer so we can do stuff. And Rafi's like, "Are you dumb?" Like that's what the queen wants. She's like, "No, no, no. Trust me, I got this." All sevens do that. You've got Rafi, kind of essentially talking to a gravestone. She like is fully aware that this is not the actual Elnor. But I think in the same way, and this is my you know sort of interpretation, in the same way that people find closure in you know going to somebody's grave and talking to them, regardless of what your beliefs are around that. It still sits in my mind the same way here. Of like she knows this is not the real Elnor. Elnor, as far as she knows, is is dead and gone. But it's useful for her to get closure to talk to the, the representation of him. So the same way that a grave marker would be a representation of a person in their life. Uh, it feels like Hollow Elnor was filling that same role for her here, for the emotional part of her, her journey. And uh, at Seven has uh, sensible transporters as a weapon techniques where she (laughs) unlocks the transporters and beams the borg mandos into the wall and i thought about this in the moment i was like wow that's a pretty badass move why didn't she just beam them into the air and then you know just like rios just fall and die i said "Mm, borg might be a little hardier may not all die and it would probably cause more attention of like Hey, did you see like 300 guys floating 20 20 stories (laughs) in the air just fall? What the hell was that? We should go check that out. So, beaming them into the walls of the secret tunnels at Chateau Picard. I'm like, okay, I got you. That's that's good thinking, seven.
1: But the the flip of that that got my attention was my my mind started wandering to like safety protocols and thinking, boy, I hope she had to put in some severe overrides to get it to do that. Because otherwise, that means you could potentially do that all the time. And that's terrifying. <laughs> like, she must have had to reprogram it, turn off, like, the safeties and whatever else to get it to beam them into a wall, because isn't getting beamed into a wall, like, the worst potential outcome of being transported? Yeah, it's
2: uh, kind of like the Harry Potter splinching when you, when you yeah. apparate and you mess it up and you end up all torn up. Like, it feels like, like, that's what you would be like to have the, the wall suddenly be part of you. Um,
1: I think that that was the only part missing in this episode. I think it would have been fantastic because they, they she beamed them in and they beamed in right next to where Talon and Picard were in the tunnels. I think it would have just been a hundred times funnier if they beamed in and just started screaming because they were like <laughs> half built into the walls. <laughs> oh my God, I'm in the walls.
2: <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, the Borg Mandos had. No, no protection. But you know who does have sensible anti-transport protocols is the queen, because they do try to beam her, presumably, into the wall, and it uh, doesn't work. So you've got Paula Elnor and, and, and the queen having a sword fight, um, but she loses. And they've got her dead to rights with a sword and a couple of guns. Um, but the, the queen is, is, is dangerous when she's cornered, so she, she corrupts Paula Elnor with... Um, I know it was like a tentacle, but it was like a, a mechanical tentacle, I guess, because she's got kind of mm-hmm. almost an organic kind of tentacle that she's used, and I think that's what she uses to stab um, Seven. And I think she hit yep. Elnor with more of like a like a tool, mechanical tentacle. She blends yep. the organic and the, the cyborg parts. So, yeah, things are bad. Seven stabbed, dying. The Queen's taking control. She's going to set a course to the Delta Quadrant, take this, you know, far-in-the-future ship all Of her knowledge here and give them a head start. Um, it's not looking great there. Meanwhile, again, Soong is super good at hide and seek. <laughs> he just goes to where the exit of the tunnel is in the um, what was it like? A like a garden? How would you describe it? Like a oh, a yeah,
1: greenhouse? I think that's supposed to be the yeah, it's basically it's supposed to be like a uh, what do they call it? Um, yeah, like a glass, uh, glass walled room. It's the, it's the room where where Picard famously in the beginning finds all the broken glass and where he and his mom spent right. all their time. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I didn't grow up on a manor, so I don't know what that's called. I'm like, uh, it's like a greenhouse. It's a, an aviary. It's like, I, I don't know if you yeah. know, yeah.
1: let us know. If you grew up on if a you manor, have and a lot and of money cleanly, and listen to this podcast, I on Patreon. <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> um, back on, on the ship, uh, the queen can't stab, she can't finish things off because you know Gerardi is using the sadness that you feel so coming back to the uh the things we've seen around what happens with human emotions and the biological chemicals that are released and what that means for uh, assimilation and who has control in this case Gerardi ends up regaining some control and she has a um a, you know bit of a dialogue with the queen is like look history of the borg look at all these different timelines it never ends well because of the way that you guys run things the way you keep trying to assimilate and eventually people figure a way out to to make you not an issue and, and destroy you at, if not you know completely and concretely but destroy you as a looming threat to them right so she's got the uh, what i delightfully called the uh, the build borg better plan which is like <laughs> <laughs> we just do it a little differently and 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 be a little you know low-key on the like we're gonna simulate you all kind of things and then and then people wouldn't have a reason to to create a borg slayer that destroys us right there's no Heb, there's no um q virus there's no whatever the heck they did in the confederation timeline like there is no we have to engineer some cool way to 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 deal with you you're just kind of the weirdos over in the delta quadrants do do your own thing She's, she's got ideas there um, back in the uh, the aviary greenhouse, whatever it is, soon's gonna have his <laughs> goons shoot the card. But Rios has you know saved the day here by using Talon's Doctor Who door to show up just in time to shoot the Borg Mando's. He has a loot drop that will be important later. With the uh, uh, the person who vaporized, but the, thankfully he dropped the, an important key uh, that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, remembering that Seven back on the ship was. Was stabbed and dying, and remember, in in this timeline, she has been deborgified, right? Because in the Confederation yeah. timeline, she never was assimilated as a child by the Borg. Well, there's the opportunity here to to save her. Where. Yeah, Rafi can't read the room. She's like, "You're gonna kill her." It's like, "Bro, she is dying already." <laughs> like, why not you yeah. just let whatever the board? Did you
1: not see the tentacle go through her stomach and like pierce her straight through. Yeah, it
2: was like, whatever the Borg Queen is gonna do here, I think death is not the uh, the plan. Like, we want to just see what happens. And and the Queen is is reborgifying Seven to to save her. Right, so she's back to the Seven that we're we're used to seeing and and saved uh, at, at the expense of. You know, losing whatever freedom she might have thought she had from cleansing her past, or or even just the the slightly less freedom of not being fully human uh, as she is somebody with uh, you know the, these Borg scars. Yep. Um, you know, soon uh, again, pretty wily guys. Like you know, all right. Well, I picked up his gun. I'm like, I bet you, a pew pew pew, is just as good for me. And they're like, no, it, it really doesn't, because uh, it, it it's got. You know, a way to figure out that you're not an authorized user, and it's gonna overload. And he, again, has the sense. There's just like a lot of sensibility here of like, oh, it's gonna explode. Like I'm gonna throw this at you. Then <laughs> right? I'm not gonna let it explode in my face like an idiot, like you know people might do in, in other shows. No, in this show, he's like, I'm gonna throw this in your face so it explodes, and I can just run away, right? So, yeah. Kudos, kudos to him for doing that. You know, getting uh, folks assembled here. There's kind of like a Gerardi is that you? And she's like, yes, and, and, and also no. right? Like the, the merging of the Queen and Gerardi are, are coming together. The, the aforementioned loot drop key uh, is the key to everything. This brings up the last bit of the memory that, that Picard is having, that unfortunately he saw that his mom had hung herself um, he regrets unlocking her door cause the, the dad, when she was having an episode had locked her away and she kept begging the boy to let him out. And, and he did after his dad had uh, fallen asleep. And unfortunately that gave her the opportunity to, to take her own life. And, uh, seems like in his grief, a uh, young Picard was the one who broke the glass going in and, and throwing a, it was like a brick or a rock or something. I, f- I forget what it was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it looked like a piece of brick. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, Seven has a bit of a yeah. moment, you know, recollecting herself that she's like, you know, I wanted to be just an ordinary person. And Rob's like, what the hell are you talking about, Borg or not? Like, you're just an extraordinary, extraordinary gal. Sorry, you, you were going to say on the, the Picard class?
1: Yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back. I have some thoughts on the, the the sort of the way that they sort of have told this whole, whole riddle of what happened to Yvette. But uh, we'll, we'll circle back once we wrap up the, the rest of the episode.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, finishing things off, uh, there's the, the saying from, from, uh, you know, Queen Jurati that there, there must be two Rene's to solve this problem that you're encountering, you know, one who, one Rene card who lives and another who dies and she takes La the you know, Picard and Cruz are a regroup around what they just learned there and the ship warps out, peace out, they're gone. That's the end of the episode. Um, I, well, one, uh, semi-snarky but also kind of in a fun way you know we we were talking um certainly earlier this um this season when the queen started taking over Gerardi that like isn't it kind of weird that every season there's a jurati's being taken over by an alien force <laughs> kind of yeah. thing and it feels like this sort of just like cut out the middleman <laughs> of like there is no there is no more alien forces they could take over there's just you know there's just this uh Permanently installed. There's no rental here. They've they've purchased uh, this headspace for Gerardi. Kind of a kind of an yeah. interesting place to take her character.
1: Yeah, I, and it makes more sense. Again, I I think if they had done it and sort of found a way to cheat her, cheat code her back out of it again, I think it would have been a disappointing. You're right. It would have been too bang on after the first season. The fact that this this became a permanent thing, I think it was at least somewhat more satisfying conclusion. Although obviously. It's hard to say. I mean, Gerardi doesn't seem sad about it. She doesn't seem like, oh no, I'm going to have to spend the rest of my life as as the Borg Queen. She seems sort of at peace with it, which I think is also a nice advancement of the character who mm-hmm. was very, um, you know, mentally uh, uh, fragile at times and and really sort of struggled with her self confidence and and just who she is. I think coming to that level of peace, I think was was very good for the character. Yeah,
2: and. Do you remember the line in I don't know which episode it was this season where the Borg queen is um just really, you know, uh, verbally punishing Jeradi. She's like, "Hey, guess what? In all timelines, you're the loser who ends up alone." And yeah. and, and in this case, she kind of will never be alone again, right? That was yeah was kind of like the Borg Queens thing that she kept wanting to not be alone either. And she's like listening to the radio so that she feels like she hears all those voices and she's not alone. And I think that's how these two came together, right? Like thematically it's like the Borg queen doesn't want to be alone. Jurati is apparently doomed in all timelines to be alone. But what if, what if they could both be happy and not be alone together?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one quick nitpick: the end of the episode, we see Lassiterana p- picks up off onto the ground and like l- slowly lifts over the the, uh, the the winery, the estate, the Picard estate, and then slowly rambles up into sky and then pff, disappears. And I just kept thinking, we've established it has a cloaking device. What the hell is going on here? We're still in 21st century Earth here. Like, come on, turn on the cloaking device.
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess it was so you don't end up with the um, Wonder Woman and her invisible jet problem for, like, the viewers at home, even though in-universe that probably would have made the most sense
1: to, to not have
2: people see a uh, fire in the sky moment kind of happen.
1: Yeah, and the, the the other part of that was just the end where, where you know, Jurati has become the Borg queen. They've become sort of this unified person. And in the end, you know... Does she have to speak in riddles? Could she not have just been like, hey, here's what you need to do to make this all okay. No, no. She has to throw one last riddle out there of, well, there must be two Renees, one who lives and another who dies. Like, just give us the answers. Why are you doing this on your, like, it's like, hey, here's one last riddle. Peace out. I'm going into space. Like, man, I get it's a TV show, but that kind of stuff is always just like, that feels like it, you really need like a wise-ass character in there to be like, just tell us. Stop doing that. Like we've got more mm. than five seconds here. You could take the time to tell us exactly what you need us to do.
2: Yeah, instead of the um, the Harry Potter esque prophecy of like, what is does Voldemort and Harry's thing like? Neither can live while the other survives, or something.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the other question I had is now we've seen you know this sort of catharsis, this moment between uh, Rafi and and Hollow Elnor which I, I'm still not clear on how this, the, the hollow system works on this ship. Cause he's like, I was inside him at the last second and he didn't feel anger. He felt love again, how they got that from a hologram. I don't know. But, uh, do you think as we sort of speculate, we've got one last episode to go in season two. Do you think that Elmore is revived through whatever it is they do? Or is Elmore really gone?
2: That's a good question. I'm, I think I'm less sure than I was at uh, like episode two or three or wherever it was that he, he he died. Um, I'm less sure. than no there was then of like, Oh, it's like 95% sure he comes back. Cause it's kind of the point of fixing the timeline of like, make everything go back to the way it was sort of thing. Um, I think I'm still pretty sure just less sure where I was 95% before I'm like, mm, I'm like 60% sure that he's, he's coming back. Um, uh, unless they want to continue to have, uh, uh, Rafi pretty pretty traumatized with this going forward. I do kind of wonder what's going to happen in this final episode because there's kind of a very real potential to have a hold my beer moment to end up the season unless unless they're leaning very hard into the um, only some of the plot lines are wrapped up because the final season three will will fully resolve everything because I'm I'm a little lost on how they're going to resolve the the cue plotline and mm-hmm. resolve uh a, a number of things like you know Sung is running out there knowing more than he should about the future Corey's out there there's just a lot to deal with that I'm I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not clear how they resolve it all sufficiently in what I assume is going to be the, a full hour episode next week even if it was an hour and yeah, a half yeah and we still, still have the
1: time. yeah there's still the sort of unresolved uh Talon is she actually Laris you know, mm-hmm. love story, you know, Picard has had this sort of, you know, oh, I'd had this suppressed memory of, of you know, letting my mom out and, and her dying, that he's sort of reached this sort of awareness. Although, again, that, to me, it felt really, I don't know, telegraphed. It was not a, like I wasn't like, oh, my God, she hungers like that made sense. But um, yeah, you're right. Like, to, to, you know, we didn't get cue at all in this episode. There still hasn't really been a Q Picard, like kind of what we wanted, I think, from this series was those two actors who have that great rapport Mm -hmm. going back and forth with each other. We really haven't gotten much of that so far. And I think that's kind of my only sort of minor disappointment with the season so far is just we had to wait for the 10th episode to get these two interacting. And yeah, you're right. They have to like do the whole, you know, Renee puzzle, resolve that. Are we going to see them go back into the future? Are we going to get the whole Resilience to the Q storyline? Uh, or at the end of this episode, are we going to get some weird twist where, like, the, you know, the TNG crew shows up at the very end and we're like, oh, my God, get ready for season three.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I am kind of wondering what ends up happening. Like, maybe it'll fully make sense thematically where they were going with the, the hidden trauma, repressed trauma, and, and the mother storyline. because. Right now, I'm not seeing what it brings to the story. Like maybe I'm missing something. But I'm like, if you completely excised all of the flashbacks and all of the mother stuff, how does how does that tie in? It's not as if we had like, oh, Picard has always had some some weird repressed thing, and now we're totally finding out. Like before, we sort of like assumed, oh, the reason he got into Starfleet is he wasn't like his his brother who loved digging in dirt. He's like, I'm gonna go in the stars. All right, peace out. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know where, I don't know where this storyline is going. Do you have a a good sense of how this ties into the the larger story?
1: No, and it also occurred to me at several points in this, like, where is this brother supposed to be in all this? So we established he has this older brother who was kind of, you know, I got the impression from the TV series that he was kind of, you know, older and maybe a little bit more sort of connected to the family legacy and all that kind of stuff too. You know, the, the one who's trying to do right by the family and all that, like he's missing from this whole storyline. I'm like, wouldn't he be also in this mix being like, um, don't let mom out of there. Like, I, I don't know. I found that kind of glaring in its omission.
2: I guess it depends on how old, uh, his brother is supposed to be and how old their car is supposed to be as a young lad. But, yeah. Like they are, um, they are certainly of, the right class of folks who who flung children into like boarding school
1: Fair. or military school, so maybe he's there. There, um, yeah, hmm. yeah. I, I do. I do have a tough time putting the pieces together. I think we talked about it last week. So we've we've resolved the sort of Borg of it all. We've resolved the the you know the the sort of seven storyline we have to resolve the Rios part of it. It'll be interesting to see too. So we've kind of, it seems like we've kind of written gerardi out of this now, although possible that she pops up again in the last episode, but it feels like they kind of have finished up with her. The whole Rios thing, like, you know, Teresa makes the point in this episode, you know, well, maybe you were always meant to come back here. Maybe you were meant to be here with me. And and so that kind of felt like a, a deliberate line to put in there. Uh, I did look it up. It is Ricardo, by the way, is her son. Ricardo. Okay. Um, I wonder if uh, if we're going to leave him behind in all this, too. And I wonder if, you know, we we go back to the future with just, you know, Rafi and Seven sort of coming out of this. If Alan Moore's dead, they're going to need a new crew by next season. There's going to be nobody left. Uh, the other part is, you know, again, how do they how do they get back to the future now? So that's the part that's kind of like it, it kind of left murky at the end of this. is they, they give the ship over and then she's like, peace out, I'm leaving. And they're like, okay, cool. We need to make sure that, you know, Renee's mission is successful. I'm like, and then what? You're all stuck in the 21st century. Like, what, what are you supposed to do from there?
2: I don't, I, it really depends on the mechanics of time in this season where hypothetically, if they can ensure that the mission goes off properly, it just sort of like resolves itself right uh, either of like okay yeah. well then uh they never got flung back in in time to a, a place where things had gone awry and and q adds kind of a an x factor to this of like he was uh, you know he set up the game here and once you once you solve the puzzle everything goes back to the way that uh it it should have been in, in the way that he set things up so that that's certainly plausible i i, I don't know how they're going to explain you know, how people end up in the places they're, they're supposed to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're right though. I think we might be in for a hold my beer episode. As I say, I'm, I'm really hoping that because they filmed these back to back, I know they filmed season two and three sort of all one fell swoop. I'm kind of hoping that they do a big setup for the next season, that it doesn't just end with them all going like, Well, good mission, everyone. Let's go back home. I hope that there is more of a, you know, end of season one of Discovery where the Enterprise pops up. I hope that, you know, maybe there's a, Mm -hmm. a, you know, the crew came looking for Picard or some kind of weird twist that that sort of leads us to a a more cohesive flow into the next season. Yeah, yeah. Alright, uh, should we get into the Moon Knight of it all? So this is, it's funny, the coincidence that, uh, you know, we had an episode of of Picard that dealt a lot with, you know, identity and uh, mental health and all this stuff, and uh, we definitely got a lot of parallels in our Moon Knight episode this week. Boy, did we? So, Moon Knight Season 1 Episode 5 is called Asylum. This is the penultimate episode, uh, the one more to go after this, um, So it starts off with uh, sort of a cryptic opening where, you know, we hear this, uh, you know, boy in a well sort of, you know, crying for help. Uh, We see, you know, the water looks like it's a well or a cave or something. We're not sure what we're really looking at. And then we get a close-up of a woman's face, you know, yelling, this is all your fault. From there, we sort of snap to where we left off last week's episode with uh, the the Egyptian god... Standing there, this giant hippopotamus god standing there, and Mark and Stephen as separate entities standing there, facing all sort of screaming at one another. Uh, this sort of you know triggers you know uh, Mark back into the the psychiatrist's office that we had seen in the previous episode, where we see him with you know uh, with Doctor Harrow, the the psychiatrist, the sort of you know more clean cut Ethan Hawk with the little mustache and he says you know oh you know you're 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 at the putnam medical facility in chicago you're not you know you know you're not in you know having some delusion this is this is really where you are do you think that you know you are um, you know do you what do you think is more likely that you're actually here that you've had a nervous breakdown that you've had a mental episode and we're treating you or that you're having this like weird random adventure with egyptian gods and you know that that you know how is it possible that that's real um you know mark is sort of at first seeming to be like yeah no, no no that makes sense and then all of a sudden he starts sort of uh you know freaking out he grabs you know an object <laughs> off the desk like he's going to try and uh you know bust free again and he is uh you know theoretically injected with a needle that sort of triggers it and then um he uh basically snaps out again and snaps back to that same spot with with the uh, torette and and there, they have a discussion where they're basically like, "She's like, uh, you know, so I have some news for the two of you. You guys are actually dead. When you got shot, that's that was it. You guys are you guys are dead. And uh, you know, I'm here to basically take you through the the duat, the underworld, the Egyptian underworld, and uh, you're going to basically go on this this journey. And you know, we're going to figure out a- along the way whether or not you are." You know, worthy of going to you know, it, it, the field of reeds, which is more or less Egyptian heaven, mm-hmm. or if you're going to uh, have to be thrown off- overboard. And so the, 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 the site for this for the whole episode is the, the scales of justice. Your, your heart is weighed against the, the, the feather and then if it's balanced, you can go to the field of reeds, and if it's unbalanced, you get thrown overboard and you basically become uh, a specter. The weird part is that you know she she is um, she takes out sort of small hearts from both of them as opposed to one heart from one of them because of course they're sort of two mm-hmm. parts of the, the duality of of, uh, of Moon Knight and um, she puts them on the scale and says well you know something's wrong with these things they're not they're not full and so the episode basically becomes you know. An exploration inside of of Mark and Stephen's mind to figure out, you know, why why are things unbalanced? What's what's off about them? What 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 is what is it that they they need to sort of um, discover about themselves before they can move on to the next thing? Yeah. So she basically says, you know, the boat is you know a boat full of memories. You need to go and figure out. You know, open all the doors figure out what the truth is if you can't do that i'm gonna have to throw you overboard and, and that's it for you both so we see the the two of them looking through some of the the windows and the doors and so we see the first time we saw moon knight from uh, episode one where moon knight is battling the jackal in the bathroom and pummeling the pummeling this the, the snot out of it and uh, steven looks pretty aghast at that one and then They look at the other one and you see uh, Stephen as Mr. Knight working with Konshu to turn back time so they can figure out the location of of the tomb. And uh, then they pass by another one where we see uh, one of them standing on a street and Mark pretends to not know what it is. Stephen doesn't know what it is. And we're sort of wondering, well, okay, is this the third personality? Is this, you know... Why, why do neither of them acknowledge that this? they understand what this is? It's at that point we hear a call for help, and they go down the hall, they go through a door, and they find themselves in a room filled with dead people. And Stephen is like, what is this? This room is just mm-hmm. filled with people who are sitting here dead. And Mark's like, well, this is kind of my checklist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is uh, this is kind of all my doing. And Stephen's like, Oh my God, really dude. We're in a room with like 45 people. And he's like, well, yeah, no, but this is what it means to be the fist of vengeance. Can't you, you know, can't you expect them to, you know, pay the price for, for messing with travelers of the night. And he's like, you know, I he makes a really interesting confession where he says, you know, I kind of, part of me wish that I, that one of them would kill me, but instead I killed all of them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when they have, when he has that admission, we see the scales start to slow and we start to see that they are starting to get more in balance. So, you know, the idea that Mark is starting to, uh, have this catharsis is, is, you know, helping to, to balance the scales for him. We then see a little boy at the back of that room and the little boy, um, neither of them seem to recognize and then they see that the, the boy goes through a door Stephen runs through the door and turns around and locks Mark out because Mark is trying to sort of stop him from following it and it and that takes us to a uh, sort of an idyllic scene where we are in a backyard and we see a mom who's you know working on the barbecue we see a dad and uh, another little boy and uh, they mentioned his name is Roro and they, the two little boys, the the, the first boy we saw at Roro, decide, oh, we're going to go and explore the cave. And as they're walking away, we hear, uh, we hear, see later alligator, or we see later, later's gators, which is something we've heard Stephen say before. So we're supposed to probably at that point infer that this is uh, Mark slash Stephen and his little brother Roro. Mm-hmm. They go down and they're pretending to be Dr. Grant and Rosser, which is a callback to that uh, tragic B movie. Uh, was it called Tomb, Tomb Buster? I wrote it down somewhere in here. Oh, um, yeah, they,
2: they, they showed the, the, the B movie poster that he was clearly yeah. a fan of. Um, yeah. I don't remember what the, what the, I know it was Dr. Steven Grant is the like Indiana Jones yeah. kind of character. I can't remember the name of the, the movie.
1: Yep. So the two of them are pretending to be these, you know, these explorers from this movie that they're clearly fans of. They go down into this cave, and as they go in, it starts raining and you start to see the, the the cave starting to fill up with water. And Stephen is sort of following along with the boys and he's starting to get really nervous and he's like, No, boys, boys, you need to come out of there. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? And he's getting more and more nervous, and he can hear the boys, you know, clearly struggling in there, and then we sort of snap forward to, uh, you know, young Mark sitting at, at, you know, the funeral, more or less, you know, mm-hmm. and we realize, oh, this this has clearly ended in tragedy, that, that Roro must have died in that cave, and so that ties us back to the beginning of the episode, what that moment of trauma is that, that, uh, you know, Mark's little brother died when they were exploring this cave, and that, you know, um, he's haunted by that, and then in that moment, we also see the connection where his mom yells at him and says, it's all your fault, and it clearly blames him for this this tragic accident. And then we start to go through this sort of montage of Mark's life, where, you know, he has, you know, his dad is trying to sort of help him celebrate his birthday, and his mom doesn't want to even be in the same room with him, and just sort of continuing over the years that his mom just continues to blame him for what happened. And sort of culminates in young Mark basically saying like I can't be here anymore I'm I'm done I gotta I gotta get out of here I I can't can't be here anymore His dad is just like no I already lost one son I don't want to lose you and he's like I just like I'm done I can't I can't be around mom anymore She hates my guts and so they're sort of struggling through that and then they sort of. Um, I guess it's that part that Mark sort of breaks through and Mark and Stephen end up sort of tumbling into the the sort of next part of their memories. So at this point um, they have landed basically on the night that Layla's father died where they're at this, this sort of dig site and uh, Mark confesses that, you know, yeah, where he left uh, his family, he went and he joined the military and, he ended up getting discharged because he was, you know, experiencing fugue states when he was uh, working for the military, which generally the military frowns on, which I think is, I'm supportive of that. And uh, he says he got kicked out, but that his CO, a guy named Bushman, which is a callback to the comic books character and his origin, gave him a job as, uh, as basically, you know, helped me, you know, basically raid this Egyptian tomb and we're gonna, you know, split the split the money. And so this is Mark sort of becoming his career as a, as a mercenary. And in the end, it's you know he says Bushman sort of betrayed me and killed everyone, and I couldn't stop them. And he says, you know, Stevens says, well, what happened to you? And then you see Mark has basically crawled in a in a trail of his own blood after being beaten and shot into the temple of Kongshu, and. Khonshu basically speaks to him from there and says, you know, okay, you have a choice. You can live or you can die, but if you choose to live, I'll heal you, but you're going to work for me from now on. You're going to be my fist of vengeance. You're going to be my moon knight. Mm-hmm. And Mark sort of, you know, grudgingly uh, agrees to it, given that the option. the other option is dying on the spot. And from there we see the scales again and the scales once again click just that much closer into balance. So we get this sort of, you know, again, acknowledgement of, of, you know, when he faces the truth, things start to balance out. Um, we go back to the, to the boat and, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, what to do next. Okay. Well, this still, still is in balance. What do they do? And then Tvaret said, basically, uh, you know, we have to, you know, we have to uh, we have to go back because we start seeing all these souls that are basically just like coming firing down and like crashing into the desert. They're, they have no chance to go to the field of reeds. And she says, "Yeah, things are things are way out of whack. Somebody is sending unbalanced souls uh, uh, that are being judged and condemned to the sands before their time." So we know that yep. this is the work of of Harrow, who's using his his uh, powers to basically judge people. Before they're supposed to be judged in the proper Egyptian way, and uh, so yeah, they basically say like we need to send a message to Layla to free Conchu because they say they're like, hey, send us back, and he's, she's like, if I send you back, you're going to be in a dead body with two bullet holes in it. It's not going to help yeah, you. Yeah. And so she, they say, okay, well, tell Layla to free Conchu from the the statue because if she does, if he does, if he gets free. He can then use the the power of resurrection to save. Uh, save their lives and hopefully bring Moon Knight back or Mr. Knight back or either way. Um, so she says, fine, I, you know, I'll, I'll work on turning this thing around and trying to find a way for us to do that. But you need to work on, you know, still balancing these scales. If we, if we get to the field of reeds and you don't have those scales balanced, you're going overboard. There's nothing I can do about that. And so At this point, Mark is getting really emotional and he's saying, you know, don't don't make me relive this past again. I can't I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too bad. Stephen is, you know, pressing. I want the truth. I want to know what happened. And uh, Mark sort of has this this psychological break and and starts hitting himself. And that snaps him back into the psych ward with Dr. Harrow. But what we're not clear on at that point is, you know, again, which which is sort of the real side, you know, is it is it is all of this in his head where you know they're doing a good job of sort of casting it as we're not crystal clear which one is the truth there's a lot of doubt
2: and, for sure of, of many different aspects of what's going on here
1: yeah I thought it was really well done right like they 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 do put even though you're pretty sure that they wouldn't have done this all inside of a, of a, a per- mentally ill person's head they do a good enough job of selling it that you're like yeah okay alright maybe And so he's back in the psych ward with Dr. Harrow and and Harrow sort of says, Oh, you know, it's such a good breakthrough that, you know, you, you've been here for hours working on this. And he says, you know, did you create Steven to hide or did you, uh, did he create you to punish the world for what uh, your mom did to him? And, and um, then he says, Harrow basically casually mentions, well, you know, obviously since the death of your mom and he's like, my mom's not dead. My mom's not dead. And, the fear of his mom triggers him into switching into Steven. So we get Steven for the first time in Harrow's office and we see that, um, Oh no! Sorry, I got that wrong. That's that's when he's he has the the, the epiphany, and they go back to Mark's room at his house. Right? Mm-hmm. They go back to the room in the house. He's,
2: he's upstairs, and his he's upstairs,
1: yeah. and he hears his mom yelling at him and banging on the door. And that's when he has the snap. He looks into the mirror, and he snaps. And he's so scared of his mom that he snaps and becomes the the, the personality of Stephen. And Stephen is taken from that poster for the for the um called Tomb Buster. Tomb Buster. He says, you know, when uh, when danger is near, Stephen Grant has no fear is the catch on the poster. And he, so he takes sort of adapts this personality of, you know, well Steven's here and we see his mom come through the door and basically grabs the belt and you know and is gonna, you know, clearly give him a beating. And so we see that you know obviously this this sort of deep trauma is what triggered this this split between their two personalities where you know Stephen gets to sort of live in this ignorant bliss and Mark has to sort of wear all these these scars and and this this trauma yeah and um, and then we get this this sort of beautiful cathartic moment between Mark and Stephen where you know he, Stephen's like oh my god this is so awful and he goes you know yeah the whole point of you is that you get to live a normal life and I get to. I have to own all this other stuff, but you get to be, you know, a a normal person. And so it's from there that, um, we get the, the Steven snaps into the psych ward and that's where Dr. Harrow sort of casually mentions his mom is dead. And he's like, no, no, my mom's not dead. I talked to her on the phone. He's like, Oh, you're right. And so uh, they go through this sort of pantomime where, uh, Dr. Harrow pretends to call his mom and sort of holds the phone out. And he's like, no, no, you're right. You're right. My mom is is dead. I I know I know she's dead. And that snaps to that first memory that they saw earlier in the episode where we see Mark standing on the street and it turns out that he's standing outside of his parents' house while they're sitting Shiva for her for his mom and he's standing there with his uh, his kippa on and you know he's he was intending to go and and sort of pay his respects for his father and for his mother and while he's standing there, he basically has a, a psychological break, and that's where we see that the grief and the anxiety and the stress and the all of those feelings about his mom basically trigger Stephen into existence right there on the streets of Chicago.
2: And he's like, um, oh, I'm, I'm lost. I don't know. I'm so, sorry, Mom, I was heading to your place, and I got lost, and
1: I don't even know where I'm at. I'm on yeah. this
0: weird
2: street. It just, like, it completely... Uh, complete break with with reality there
1: yeah yeah and just really interesting because again that's where we start to see like oh there was like this because we knew that there was a precipitating event that brought Stephen to the surface and that things had really sort of gone off the rails from there and we find out that that it was a few months ago and that yes that it was this that sort of brought the steven personality uh really to the forefront and then there was this sort of duality and you know we sort of snap back to, you know, Stephen and Mark having this beautiful goodwill hunting moment of, it, it's not your fault, it wasn't your fault, you know, your mom, you know, abused you. You, you like, The fact that your brother died wasn't your fault, it was an accident, you have to just, you know, accept that. So they end up back on the boat, and they're about to sort of reach their final destination, and Tlorette says basically, like, you know, sorry, but, you know, it's the scales still haven't balanced, things are still off. You're not going to go to the field of reeds, and I can't help you. The bad guys are coming, and so the the sort of souls of the damned are starting to climb over the side of the boat. These these sort of sand zombies are are attacking Stephen and Mark, and you know Mark is you know doing his Mark things. He's a mercenary. Uh, yeah, we get Mark in versus the sand zombies, and. Mark's doing Mark things. He's fighting. He's he's you know he's actually holding his own okay. And then uh, you know they sort of get the upper hand, and it's so at that moment that Stephen sort of realizes you know yeah well you know I am the secondary personality. I'm part of Mark, and if Mark can do these things, then why can't I do these things? And so he picks up you know. Uh, thing and he sort of bashes the, the sand zombie down and you're like you know whoa okay and we get of course a little moment of levity there where he you know he basically you know kabongs one of them in the head and yells six he says why well, you know I'm a I'm a cricket fan so he's you know he's pretending that he's he's hit a six and um and so the two of them are sort of you know fighting off uh, and they're they're sort of holding their own and, and you sort of get the hope of oh maybe maybe there's a hope here uh, but again it gets. You know, thrown on, thrown off when you know Mark is about to be pulled overboard, and 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 instead it's Stephen who ends up overboard and tumbling into the desert. And we sort of think, well, you know, is there a way for them to stop? Is there anything going to be done? And no, Stephen basically becomes uh, you know damned and ends up being turned into a sandman and and uh, is one of the lost souls in the desert. But the effect of that is that without Stephen being part of his you know theoretically, his mind the scales balance right before they're about to hit the field of reeds, and you know all of a sudden instead of you know uh being damned, Mark is now able to go into the field of reeds into heaven more or less, and so we end with you know Mark finding himself not just dead but now dead and in heaven, and Stephen is now damned and so that leads us to sort of the question of you know. We've got one episode left. Is Stephen gone from Mark's mind? Where are we at? you know what is this what does this mean in, in the big scheme of things is is you know is he now gone to a better place? That wouldn't make sense obviously as a storytelling piece, but um you know is this the last we've seen of Steven? Where do we go from here yeah it's it's a
2: pretty atypical move to have an episode end on a cliffhanger where the cliffhanger is the main character is in heaven <laughs> right normally yeah. that's like oh okay you know they sacrifice themselves heroically or all dogs go to heaven this is your reward and in this case it's it's not a reward this is an obstacle to the main character's um you know aims and goals so that's yeah that's, and that's kudos to them for like being able to do atypical things with this uh, this character
1: yeah, and we're also left with, you know, we're not clear if if Tuareg has has had a chance to communicate to to Layla, if Layla is, you know, somewhere back on the on the mortal plane trying to to free Conchu uh, as as they had intended, and and if so, is that a chance to revive not just Mark but maybe Mark and Stephen? Uh, yeah, it's it sort of leaves it very open for where it goes from here. It seems strange. It seems strange to say, but, you know, obviously, Stephen is the sort of the character I think that we've grown to to like the most out of this. Mark, you know, you have a lot of empathy for him as a character after this episode, understanding, you know, the, the deep trauma that he's gone through, losing his brother, his, mother, his mother's response, you know, the abuse, the trauma. Mm-hmm. It makes him a much more empathetic character. That being said... While he is obviously, you know, sort of a badass and a a tough guy and everything else, and we've seen in in the previous episodes, he's not terribly likable. Whereas Stephen, as a personality, has been, you know, very, very uh, charming and, you know, awkward and, and endearing in that way. And so, you know, you find yourself sort of thinking, well, if the end result of this is that, you know, Mark's mind is more healed having reached this catharsis, does that mean he absorbs some of steven does that mean that steven is gone how are we supposed to feel about steven no longer being part of of this, this duality
2: yeah cuz it's sort of weird that like steven is the you know ostensibly better version of mark you know he's the one that's untainted by the the, the sins he's the one who doesn't have you know the family problems um and, and I, I guess that leads me into my sort of three philosophical questions. Um, a couple of them are, again, kind of overriding questions that I think the, the series wants us to think about. And some of them are like very like in our face in this episode, or at least came to the forefront of this episode. So the first philosophical question I have here is, that I think they're wanting us to, to ask ourselves is, is it better to live the perfect lie or live the awful truth? Right? So the perfect lie is Steven's life and the awful truth is Mark's life, as messy as Like I mm-hmm. feel like they're, they're really pushing the not really a clear answer kind of thing that you, know, you, could, you could debate people for a long time as to which one is better uh, and people can make their own choices. The, the other one that's, um, you know, we, we sort of tacitly knew it because of the description of how uh, Mark came to be in service of Konshu. But we sort of saw it more in the forefront because we saw the actual event, and I think it asks us to ask a question of like, is it better to die as an independent person or to continue to live on as a servant? Mm-hmm. This is what I was thinking about. Of like, mm, yeah, that's kind of a you know, you know, Mark was kind of in a in a in a no man's land of like Kanju saying, "Yo, do, are you going to die or are you going to live?" And he's like, "Hey, man, you didn't tell me there was." and afterlife, and there are apparently other afterlives according to Tawarit, so mm. if you had if you had told me that maybe it wasn't eternal darkness or eternal nothingness, maybe I would have chosen a little bit differently.
1: And the funny part of that one is that uh, we, we, we had, had uh, sort of hints throughout the earlier episodes that um, Mark wears a Star of David around his neck, so it was, they were clearly establishing he's Jewish. In this episode, it's brought much more into clearer focus because we see uh, the types of ceremonies that they have. We see Shiva. We see uh, him with his kippah on. So they're they're leaning more into the fact that he's clearly a, a, a person who's Jewish. Mm-hmm. But Jewish people don't believe in heaven. <laughs> so that part is really interesting because it's basically, it's kind of, uh, they're showing this sort of afterlife, this sort of whole, what happens to you after you die, but Jewish beliefs don't include a version of heaven that doesn't exist. So it's kind of a weird take on that to sort of say well he was raised in this faith, but what he was raised to believe is not true i, I kind of I, I felt that one was just like a little oddly put together given that they've gone out of their way to show that he was raised jewish
2: it's it's a weird one, and I'm guessing they tried to put a lot of the weight on tawarat's like very casual comment when they ask this is the afterlife she's not like it's not the afterlife it is an afterlife there's a lot of intersectional planes so i, I don't but know that means that either, are- right of, of a faith that doesn't have an afterlife but like Hey, you got lucky, well, you it. qualified for the Egyptian afterlife, and your backup school <laughs> was a Christian one. It was like, well, okay, is that how this works?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's the part that I think is kind of funnier. It's like, well, congratulations, because of your recent activities, you qualify for the Egyptian afterlife. But if you had stuck with your Jewish faith, you would just have gone into non-existence because that's what your people believe. Like, it's, it just it felt kind of... I, on one hand, I was like, "I'm I'm so glad, obviously, that they included his Jewish heritage as part of the character, because uh, it's certainly part of his character in, in the books." And also, I think it's nice to have that representation. But then it also felt like, in the same, like they were kind of giving you that with one hand and smacking you with the other one, where they're like, "Oh, by the way, your beliefs <laughs> don't matter."
2: Uh, the 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 third question that's philosophical that has been throughout the series, but is is more concrete given what we saw in. Uh, the boat in the desert. And I think the question is uh, that we're meant to ask ourselves is what is justice? And you have the Khonshu method, which is you have committed a crime, you know, it's in the past, but you have committed a crime, you pay for the crime. Yeah. And Amit's view and Harrow's uh, view is like, you will commit a crime, you pay for it now. And mm. and that's, you know, where we see the souls going, uh, you know, into, uh, the judgment part, like way before they're supposed to, so the, I feel like that's the 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 philosophical sort of um, thing you've got going on. The tension you've got going here between the protagonist, and the antagonist of like what is justice, and clearly Khonshu and Amit do not see eye to eye on that, and their their heralds of uh, Mark and uh, and Hero don't see the same, and it kind of weirdly gets to the the, the Deadpool Two question of like if you can go back in time and kill baby Hitler, is that a morally just thing to do? Right. Mm. And, and I, I don't know. I feel like I could make pretty good arguments for, for, for either one. And I feel like you, you end up having to think about not just the justice of the the deeds, but of, you know, the, the value of life and, and how that leads into things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be another we I mean we just talked about this with Picard, the sort of, you know, hold my beer ending. And we know that this has been kind of um a recurring theme over the the last few Marvel slash Star Wars Disney Plus series is the how are they gonna wrap all this up in a satisfying way, especially since we know that there is not at this point necessarily a plan to do a Moon Knight season two or to spin it into something else. What do you wanna see? As far as you know, do they just kind of have to hit the beats that you'd expect to make this a satisfying ending? Is it Mark is revived, Stephen is somehow revived, and you know the two of them happily share this, you know, de- defeat Harrow, save or or work with Layla, and then you know somehow share this body and live happily ever after? Like, what's the what's what's the satisfying ending conclusion to all this? Hmm. I and do you think they'll go there
2: I, I think they'll hint, or at least leave the possibility for some of these things, where you you sort of feel satisfied, and, and if they never go there, you're okay. And if you do go there, you're like, oh, remember when this thing happens, and and you feel uh, a connection. Like I think that if Stephen doesn't come back, you can, you can still hint at it when Mark kind of looks in the mirror, and maybe there's just a just a look, not even a statement. They don't have to linger on it for more than half a second, but just a look that sort of acknowledges maybe Steven is still there, right?
0: Because mm. uh, 'cause
2: they've been using the mirror thing. I could I could see them since we you know in the in the real world we're like, uh apparently Oscar Isaacs isn't necessarily signed up for other stuff. So it's like what are they gonna do? I'm like, well, if I were writing it, I would probably have, you know, uh Khonshu, you know, after they take care of, of Harrow and Amon and stuff, it's like Khonshu is is convinced of like, okay, okay, I'll I'll let you out of my uh, my service here. And I'm not going to take Layla, even though I've been, you know, eyeballing her for a long time. But if you ever wanted to come back into my service, you know, my number, you can call, me, right? So they, mm. they leave the possibility that if Marvel and Oscar Isaacs come together and come to an agreement, they can loop them back into the MCU. And if they don't, I was like, yeah, that, that dude's story's over. His, his service is done.
1: Yeah. I, I, um I think the thing that's kind of missing in all this too, is that they, they kind of hinted again in the last episode when they go into that one room and there's another sarcophagus and both of them are like, I wonder what's in there. Mm -hmm. They've been hinting at this third personality throughout the season. I wonder if that is realized in a, in a real way in this, or if that is sort of the stinger to all this is, you know, Oh, you know, Mark is better. Steven is gone. But then we also, you know, we have him sort of snap and then all of a sudden he's Jake or, you know, something else triggers another change that opens the door to a different possibility.
2: Yeah. You, if you they, wanted they to, have to
1: deliver on that.
2: I think if you wanted to do that cinema uh, with some cinematography tricks, I can foresee them or envision them doing something like, you know, everything's great. ha ha, ha freeze frame. They're doing good. And then, you know, post credits. It's, you know, it's like, oh, that's kind of weird. We're, we're back in the, uh, in the mental health Institute. And then we see the sarcophagus and it creaks or moves or jiggles or something and kind of hinting like, Hey, there's possibility of more here.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I don't know. There's like a million different ways that could go in terms of how they're trying to do it. But, um, I can, I can see a satisfying end to this and I think it can be done without needing to be too quick. Uh, it depends on how uh, efficient they are on some of this, but uh, well, I guess we'll find out if they do a a hold my beer moment on this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the nice thing is too, again, being on the streaming service, you know, they're not beholden to a specific amount of time. Hopefully, you know, they, they, they have enough of an episode that they can sort of deliver in in a satisfying way. I think we all kind of want to see Harrow get his comeuppance and, and everything else. So hopefully they can tell that all in a, in an effective way in one last episode, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, all right. we move on to our watch list? Got our watch list. Yes. What do you got for us?
2: What I have is a uh, YouTube video that is entitled the Batman, but with goofy Batman, what they really mean when they say goofy <laughs> Batman, that's for all you, you, you kiddos who didn't grow up with the Adam West version, which we mentioned on this very show. Um, it is. Pretty well done. And there's uh there's some scenes in here that I'm like, oh gosh, I like, almost want to see the Adam West cut <laughs> of the
1: of the Batman movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So is it done as is it done satirically? It's it's sort of tongue-in-cheek, it's not uh earnest.
2: Yeah, it's um you know it, it's it's CGI it in with the the Adam West era characters for, for I think just about every equivalent that they show. And, um, you know, just some of the, the very interesting scenes that you see in the Batman and then, you know, not 10 minutes later, I was online and I found this video. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Like, it's hard to, to, to talk about it without spoiling. But, um, when you watch the video, it's, it's, it's a minute 31 long, right around, uh, 50 seconds. The hallway scene is oh yeah absolutely brilliantly done with, with Adam West in, in place.
1: Nice. I'm, I'm totally going to watch that when we're done here Alright, I have a couple things um, One I'm really curious about So this week we got The drop on Netflix of Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles This is based on Usagi Ujimbo, which is a Very long-running comic Series uh, That has been done by Stan Sakai um, uh, For Yeah, I mean, it's got to be 40 years And this is a Very sort of um, it's a very earnest take on sort of the, the samurai stories. Um, and and it's, it's not a kid's book. It's very much, you know, sort of, uh, I mean, I guess it could be read by people of all ages, but it's, it's not, it's not done in a cart. It is a cartoony style book, but it's not done in a children's direction, I would say. And I've been a fan for a long time, and I had heard that they were doing a Netflix interpretation, and I thought, well, that's really interesting. I wonder if it'll be done in the animation style of Stan Sakai's art. I wonder how they'll interpret it. And I had seen the trailer recently, and it looked like a kid's show. It looked like Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. And so I looked at it, and then I saw that they had dropped this week. And I'm, I'm going to watch at least the first episode, because I kind of just want to see what... What they've taken from it that might work or not, but to me, it really had that same vibe as as, as Kung Fu Panda, not quite as jokey and you know slapstick, but just you know the the um, you know the the animal characters all living in this world, taking on this you know obviously you know, it's, it's Japanese culture as opposed to uh, Chinese culture, but yeah, it just feels like it's kind of a, a they took in taken the loose idea and then just sort of run in an opposite direction from it. So I'm curious to see if it in any way honors the, the source material, because I am such a fan of the source material. I had a chance to meet Sansakai a few years ago, um, and, and it was a thrill for me. And um, I, I'm a little disappointed that it's not a little more faithful, just even the look of it. But I'll, I'll be curious about this one. What did, you, did you watch the trailer? Did you have any thoughts?
2: Yeah, I... Um when I saw Samurai Rabbit, the Usagi Chronicles, I'm like, do you mean Usagi Ujimbo? And then sure enough, as they get into it, like, oh yeah, this is totally that. I've not read the comic. I'm vaguely aware of the the crossovers between the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles world. And that's sort of where I saw Usagi Ujimbo first. And it makes me wonder for this um, this take in that and here's my my opinion, and, and you, you you take it as you will, because I I think if you go into this movie with what I'm about to say, you'll probably be better off. Because I think if you go into it as like, hey, how does it match up with like the comic book? And if the comic book is anything even close to like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book, which are much more adults um, in nature, it's going to be a struggle. But as an analogy, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles runs the gamut from like you know very sort of kid friendly kids animated stuff to like some of the live action movies are like, man, that's, that's pretty serious. <laughs> like this is way more grown up. And if, if you look at this as probably being the more kid friendly version of the interpretation of the universe, uh, kind of like, I don't know, like the, the transformers, um, there's like the, the transformers animated show. That's like clearly for under 10 years old, like, or maybe even under five. And then there's, you know, the, the Bayformers ones that are like, <laughs> Very adult so I, I think you might have to adjust from that lens like I don't suspect it will be faithful in terms of the the uh, maturity of uh, the source material, but I'm hoping it's faithful to the way that the lore works
1: yeah yeah I'll be curious uh, it, so it's a ten it's a ten episode series and in typical Netflix fashion they dropped it all ten uh, of course at once so again I, I don't know if I'll make it through the whole thing, but I'm curious enough to watch at least the first one and see if it grabs me. So that's, that's on the to-do list this weekend. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to add in here is uh, I, I've been keeping an eye out to sort of see when this was going to come onto the services we already pay for at list, but uh, the Matrix Resurrections, uh, I had a feeling it was going to probably drop in May, given just the timing of its release when we would probably start to see it pop up on these services. And sure enough, uh, I, I found out this week that The Matrix Resurrections the, uh, the, the fourth Matrix film that came out in, uh, in so it was December is uh, popping up here in Canada on Crave on May the 13th I don't know if there's a parallel, if it's popping up on HBO Max in the regular rotation at that point or coming back obviously it was there uh, for, for your um, added bonus of Warner Brothers movies last year but uh, I haven't seen it, I know you and Tim have both seen it already and uh, I'm disappointed I didn't get to see it in the theater, but I, I'm still looking forward to trying to uh, sit down and, and uh, see what I get out of that one. Cause I am a fan of, well, at least one of those movies. So I'll be curious to see what, uh, what the fourth one does.
2: Yeah. I, um, I don't know where it's at over here. Let me, let me sign it HBO max really fast and see if it's even there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know it was uh it was one of those time released ones initially where it came out at the same time on HBO max as it came out in the theaters, because that's the agreement they had for all those Warner brothers movies last year. And so it was there for a while, but I think there was only time load. It was only on there for a month or something like that. Right.
2: Uh, yep.
1: And that's exactly,
2: I just needed to confirm it that back in December, it would have been like the rest of their 2021 series that it's, it's on there for a month. It goes away. I can't remember how long they go away. They go away at least three months, maybe Six months or something, and then they become part of the regular rotation. So, right. If right. it's going to Crave in May, maybe it's coming to HBO Max regular rotation in May, or just because sometimes Canadian and, and USA rights are different, it might be June, or, but like very close is what I think.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it's yeah, coming in mean, Batman game really quick to Crave. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, you've got the Matrix, Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, the Matrix Resurrections trailer, but no, no, if you're subscribing right now to HBO Max here in, in April of 2022, you will not be able to watch the matrix um resurrections
1: Yeah, stay tuned Jaime's is going to stay on this one well we'll let you know when it comes <laughs> all right well i think that's it for another week so uh, hey Jaime. if people want to find you uh on the socials where would they find you i'm on twitter as at the dev of the hair and you can always find me on twitter and instagram as at jpk news and so that'll do it for another week and uh so we'll see you again in the future bye
2: bye
1: impersonation
2: we uh it's good and and we made it (laughs) is this a professional zoom a paid for zoom that you have because i thought for sure we'd be kicked out at 40
1: minutes no Um, i so i I know that there's a cap on it when it comes to the uh the video portion but i don't know if it's the same cap on the uh, just strictly audio version mm, Um, i guess they
2: did loosen things up when the pandemic started and i don't know if they ever went back on any of that so
1: yeah yeah, I didn't get anything that says uh, anything negative about the recording. It seems like the recording's still going. Obviously, the quick time's still going. But yeah, two two hours and thirteen minutes, uh, including obviously good. dog breaks and stuff. But uh, yeah, that's it's good to know that you and I can figure out how to do this <laughs> in a pinch, right?
2: Yeah, I you know Tim shared the the Zoom password with me using the the fancy one password sharing, and I was able to right, log right. in. And then one uh, sorry, and then Zoom was like you're logging in from a device or a location that you don't normally choose. I'm like, no kidding. Seattle's very different than Toronto. (laughs) So I bet you that triggered your, your, your intrusion detection. And unfortunately, Tim's going to wake up and be like, why the hell is there a two fake code in my email? It's like, well, it's not hackers, Tim. That's, that's Jaime trying to use your password. And we got stymied by, by, by proper security methods. Yeah.
1: Well, it all worked out in the end it did um,
2: i was i was kind of wondering if we were gonna to have to do like a google meet but then you know just have audio or yeah. something like we wouldn't get the backup recording we would be uh you know without a safety yeah. net just running our, our quick times
1: yeah and again it's harder to cause then you ha- you absolutely have to edit the two of them together you can't just rely on the the original master recording too yeah
2: but it worked out we've got uh, a a packed Next week, do you guys know what's happening with Strange New Worlds in your part of the uh, the the world? No pun intended. So you know, Picard and Strange New Worlds are going to drop. I think at the same time, like midnight Pacific on Thursday. Um, but since it's a new show, are are we going to have the need to start later kind of thing? Do you have the the timings for that yet?
1: Yeah, let me just look at it here. I've got my uh, I've got my app up. So let's see what it says. Unless so, it's going to be like
2: Sunday or something when they come out with the the schedule for the week.
1: It says it's premiering on Strange New Worlds is premiering at 9 p.m. Eastern time on CTV Sci-Fi. So let me just check time. Picard is on Picard on before that. Yeah. So Picard's on before that. So, so it's eight o'clock to nine o'clock for Picard, but that has been coming earlier in the day on Crave. So I'm hoping, but I don't have it confirmed and hopefully we'll find out. uh, Let me just double check Crave, but hopefully we'll find out whether or not it's coming at the same midnight drop, like you're getting. Because if that's the case, then I think we're fine. We shouldn't have to adjust times or anything like that. Where it'll catch us as if it's um not encouraging, not showing up on Crave
2: yeah, so it sounds like I, I I kind of remember you guys vaguely having to wait till like Sunday or something the Sunday before to get the like fully finalized your dVR shows you what shows up kind of thing
1: yeah well it, it has to be the full calendar day after, but usually crave. Um, we'll sort of start putting up promotional saying like debuting, dropping at this time or whatever. So yeah, we'll just stay in touch through Slack and, and try and figure that out because a um, card won't be a problem. We should be able to do that like we normally do. So we're on track to do that. We don't have to wait for the to, to air on broadcast TV for, for Tim and I to watch it. So that's good. If Strange New Worlds does the same thing, then I think we should be fine. But if it if we have to watch it live. Um, that that would be a nine to ten, which would mean we wouldn't be able to start recording till probably ten thirty our time, so seven thirty your time. So we'd have to factor that in. Yeah, yeah. That's... I really hope that's not the case, because then that would mean ten thirty recording times Eastern time for the next whatever it is twelve weeks or however long it's on for. That's that's that gets late fast. We do two hour recordings. We're pushing past midnight easily.
2: I guess it depends on what they do. Like you know, if they're not going to drop. You know, at midnight, and then you know, if they want to air at a specific time for sort of like normal cable TV watchers, I'm like, well, you can do that too. Nobody's telling you you can't show it at 9 PM yeah. for the people who who aren't like staying up to watch it uh, or or yeah. watching it during the middle of the day or something. And I, I would hope, 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 hope that at least the fallback plan for them would be like, okay, when you've got the doubled up episodes of you know the finale of one Star Trek series and the premiere of another, yeah, you kind of kind of put them back to back, but then. Once the other one goes away because it's ended, just slide to the left and say the the room that was made can now be filled in by the the then only Star Trek show that's on at the same time at at once. Yeah. So we'll we'll see what happens. And like you said, stay in contact for during this coming week. And I'm hoping it at least in the worst case, it's only a a rough time for that crossover. Sorry, um, overlap and not a recurring thing for. Uh, Yeah, that's right. They probably will be. The
1: good news is, I just looked it up on the Crave website. It does say coming to Crave on May 5th. May 5th is Thursday. The challenge we had with Disco is that it wasn't coming on the the Thursday. It was coming on the Friday morning. So when they say it comes on the 5th, I think that means 3 a.m. Eastern time or midnight Pacific on the Thursday, which would be good because that means Tim and I could both watch it early enough and... We should be on time. So I think, I think we're good for nine 30 hour time, six 30 year time for next week okay. and, and going forward. And um,
2: um, we- Obi-Wan is on Wednesdays. Is, am I thinking that right?
1: I know I- they moved it. Remember they moved it to, to Fridays starting, but it's not starting until like the 20 something of, of, um, of May. So the moon night wraps up next Wednesday. And then I think there's like a three week hiatus. And then Obi-Wan starts on the Friday. But they're doing the two episode drop on the first day on the Friday, so we can decide if we want to record on that Friday or on Fridays. We'll have to figure that out with Tim, I guess, next week or in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll figure out how we adjust there. Because man, the, these guys it was working it so well
1: for us. Yeah, yeah. It was like, a,
2: the we Wednesday and we Thursday Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then a double episode. I mean, I don't think it's going to be a half hour episode. It's probably going to be like Dude. forty minutes. So you're yeah. talking an hour thirty. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, we'll we'll sort it out. I'm yeah. semi-thankful uh just because of of time crunches on stuff. I'm like, thank in a in a very weird way, thank heavens these guys don't have the ability to watch Halo because I have not seen today's episode of Halo. Um I'll watch it after we uh, we finish recording here.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well unfortunately I uh I had to watch the uh, Raptors game uh before we recorded tonight, and they got the doors kicked in on them. They lost by 35
2: points. Man, you were committed. Um, I, w- I was like, you were like, oh, this oh. dumpster fire. I'm like, oh, I mean, we go. I'm like, bro, like you, you, you're you, going to watch the last 41 seconds of the... <laughs> I was like, I don't think they're going to turn it around. <laughs> but, uh, well, it, sure. was,
1: it, it was, the first half was like super competitive and really, really fun to watch. And then we started watching the third quarter, and, and Philadelphia just came out like a house on fire, and Toronto just... Like, I don't know if they just ran out of gas or what, but they just missed everything. So they just got out of control. But then I think Philly, I think it kind of stuck in in the Sixers' craw that they had been, uh, everyone was like, oh, here we come, Raptors come back. They just put the hammer down and they played their starters until the last like minute and a half of the fourth quarter and built that lead up so big. Like, it was really bad sportsmanship. Like, they were just like, You are dead and we are going to step on your throats until we hear a crack. Like it it was bad. And to the point where like Joel Embiid was like mocking the crowd and like it was really, really, really bad sportsmanship at the end there. It was kind of hard, but I was kind of like, I wonder if I wonder if there's going to be like a kerfuffle at the end of this. because They really are being kind of obnoxious about this. And. So Embiid scored on a slam dunk with like a minute and a half to go. And then he was like doing the like flying up the court, waving his arms at the crowd, being a jackass. And then Pascal Siakam went up on the, the next play and just trilled him with an elbow to the face while he was trying to block a shot and cut him for probably a couple of stitches. And I was like, okay, here we go. This is going to be a good rivalry for the next couple of years going forward because these two teams clearly don't like each other very much. But uh no, I mean again this this was meant to be a rebuilding year for the raptors they they you know they've obviously moved on from a lot of their championship stuff from a few years back, and it was really meant to be just sort of a let's let's sort of see what the youngsters can do and the youngsters won forty eight games and you know put on a decent showing in the playoffs like i I got no complaints um it has it has made me root against somebody now I have somebody to root against. I want the sixers yeah. to be humiliated. Deeply, but um, yeah, it's uh, you know, as a Raptors fan, I can hold my head up. We had the Rookie of the Year. We had a really successful year. You know, All Star Pascal Siakam's going to make the All Star uh, and Year End All Star team. Like this, this was a good year. It's just too bad that it ended with like a resounding thud. But you know, we can do.
2: You uh you switch the jersey and you say the Jays are doing pretty good in the beginning of this year. The Jays are the doing entry, pretty so.
1: good. That that's that's true. We do have that going for us. Uh yeah, we'll have to we'll have to move on. We do have the Leafs playoffs starting uh next week too, so uh for, for at least the first round where they seem to inevitably get knocked out, we'll have to uh turn our attention to the Maple Leafs before we move on to baseball. But uh yeah, small small things. Small things. I've got my anyway. uh, my hope with the
2: Mariners here, they're um been on a little bit of a losing streak, so they're they were leading in the West. They're a game and a half back of the Angels. That's not too bad. But I was tickled pink when I saw somebody post on uh, Facebook. They, they had taken uh, they had photoshopped. They'd taken the images of, of Jim Carrey and photoshopped a Mariners uh, hat on him. And it's Jim Carrey from Dumb and Dumber. In the you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> scene. From that book. like, Yeah, that's that's kind of my life right now. It's
1: like you're saying there's a
2: chance we can make the playoffs <laughs> here in uh, here in April. It's feeling pretty good. I know that feeling.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's so surreal. I mean, I grew up, you know, obviously a Toronto sports fan growing up here my whole life and and you know, we were kind of conditioned for the longest time to expect heartbreak and loss because that's what being a Leafs fan does to you. And then we actually had the Blue Jays sort of build, 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 and then won a couple of championships. It was like, oh, wow, we could actually win something from time to time. And then we went on our usual, like, heartbreaking losses for years and years and years. And then, yeah, we got that little glimmer of hope a few years ago where the Raptors went on their little run and won a title. We're like, wow, you could, a title, that's unbelievable. And now we're in this weird place where, like, across our sports franchises, there's a lot of optimism, like the Maple Leafs broke their record for most wins in a season this year and and you know austin matthews scored 60 goals and everybody's really excited about that so a lot of excitement around the hockey team the basketball team again obviously not the way we want to end the season but lots of optimism that you know scotty barnes looks Mm -hmm. like the real deal we've got lots of good reasons for hope and the baseball team has vladimir guerrero jr who's amazing and lots of good pieces and they look like they could be a potential world series contender and it's just like Uh, The the inner sports fan of Toronto For me is just being like You get, so you're saying there's a chance I'm like, so you're saying there's a chance The rug's going to be pulled out from our feet And it's going to be like uh, Charlie Brown And the football, right? You're like, oh this time I'm going to kick it, and oh no You you, you fall down and break your back You know, you get your heart broken by the Maple Leafs For, you know, 45 consecutive Years, and you just, after a while you're like Okay, I just don't want, I don't want to fall on my back Anymore
2: yeah, I, I I think you're right in that um you know as a Mariners fan we sort of fall into the yeah we're basically like you know Detroit Lions fans kind of thing of like we're we're not winning that championship so we, we you know you can hope and dream but it's very idle speculation versus you all in Toronto living the uh, the philosophy of uh, it's the hope that kills you
1: kind of thing it really is like there I mean. You know, again, the last few years, you know, build up a 3-1 series lead, heartbreaking loss to our arch nemesis Montreal Canadiens in the most gut-wrenching fashion. Like, yep, that seems about right. You know, like, Mm -hmm. just par for the course. And some people are like, I can't believe you're not more upset. I'm like, dude, I've, I've read this book. I've seen this play. I've gone to this movie and I've heard this song. I know how this goes. You know, like... I can't live and die with every season of the Toronto Maple Leafs or I will be despondent. Uh, You know, you just have to either, you know, move on with your life and accept that it'll either happen or it won't or or you'll go crazy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My sitting up other will ask me about the Mariners stuff, you know, whenever their season ends, he's like, are you angry? I'm like, I don't get angry when the snow comes, I don't get angry when the rain comes. It just, it just is the way of life and you accept it or you don't. (laughs) The Mariners ending their season without the playoffs is just the way of the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It does make you think though, about those, you know, the stories you read where, you know, like there's just legitimately no hope. Like, you know, the Cubs didn't win a world series for like a hundred plus years and you're just like, So I'm literally going to live my entire life and die and this is not going to happen. You're like, wow, that's pretty surreal. Like, okay, you know, I guess I have to make peace with that and decide whether or not I want to waste any more time paying attention. Yeah, you
2: start hoping that there's uh, minor minor deities or demons of like, I'm willing to make a deal. (laughs) I will live until the Mariners win a championship, which means either you're trying to screw me and I get one glorious year of seeing them
1: win and then immediately dying, or I live forever. (laughs) Whatever you got, bring bring your offers. (laughs) Yeah, really. This is like the conchu choice once again, like what do you choose?
2: (laughs) (laughs) One glorious life burning out really fast or, or living forever and never tasting victory.
1: I don't know. Again, I, I guess I have always had it in my mind. Maybe that's the, the naivete of Toronto sports fans for for a long time. I just assumed eventually it would happen. We were, you know, we kept making these great runs. We acquired these great players. I just like someday it's going to happen. And now, even you know, we've got you know, arguably the league MVP this year in, in Austin Matthews, and I'm still like, eh, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's just, there's no guarantees.
2: I, I know that feeling coming out of the, you know, like 2001 Hot Mariners and then, you know, just oh, a yeah. little bit out of the playoffs, 2002, 2003, and then it cratering really hard of like, hey, we, we, we spend a lot of money on bats, uh, but why can't they hit home runs here? What's going on? Okay, we spent some money on a bat. like, hmm, that guy doesn't... Wait, did he just need eye surgery? Why didn't our doctors figure that out? Why did he go to, like, Kansas City and they're like, hey, you need eye surgery? He's like, what? Put glasses on the guy? That's all he needed? And suddenly he's an all-star again. Like, why do they keep coming here to die? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, just the, the amount of like amazing players that played for the Mariners during that era—Randy Johnson, Arod, Ken Griffey Jr.—like so many, just absolute studs, and just can never put it together, right? Yeah, you you can make um,
2: a pretty good Hall of Fame cast from their uh, their farm system and like showed up in one or two major league games. Guys, it's like ah. Uh, um, who, who was coming to mind as like the top one uh i think was it jason veritek am i getting it wrong i don't know let's pretend it was jason veritek i'd have to look it up it was like oh jason veritek. Oh, oh he was yeah in our like arms system. yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> all sorts of stuff in there yeah like a rod was just alex rodriguez this okay guy and then oh he's freaking hall of famer kind of quality so
1: yeah, well, you guys can claim to have had him hopefully before the juicing, and then uh, you know everybody else got him after that. So exactly,
2: exactly. He was clean here, and then he got unclean when he had when he had money to, to buy
1: to buy his stuff, and all the fancy drugs. Yeah. yeah. Yep. All right, man, I'm going to go hit the hay. Um, so, yeah, I guess we'll Dropbox this to Tim and, and message him and let him know that it's all there. I'm sure he'll be excited to hear what we've concocted uh, here tonight. But, uh, yeah, this was fun. It was good to, good to be able to just, uh, yeah, shoot, shoot the crap with you a little bit on this one.
2: Yeah, yeah, likewise. Cool.
1: All right, man, I'll talk to you next week.
2: Until next time, talk to you later. Right. See ya.